This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. The Jason Kavnis Experience is brought to you by Kavnis HR. Small businesses lose an average of $10,000 per small business employee, and small business owners spend 25% of their time on HR. Time better spent taking care of employees, customers, and building their business. This is costing small business owners valuable time and money. Cavernous HR is solving this by delivering HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the U.S. through a voice-enabled AI platform along with an HR business partner. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. On live now. Good. Hello, and welcome to Jason Cabinet's Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet. Here at Cabinet's HR, we're doing a crowdfunding campaign. It'd be great if you could support by donating or sharing with your networks. The link is https slash crowdfunding. Our guest today is John Neff. John, are you ready to be great today? Ready to be great today. John, so you have like so much going on right now. I mean, like you're doing a lot. So what are you focus on right now? I do have a lot going on. That's right. Um, my immediate focus right now is um, I founded a company called Compo Designs, and we are getting ready for our first Kickstarter campaign, launching on May 13th of 2021. So a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter, like how my crowdfunding is like a software pr- product. Kickstarter is more like for actual hardware products, right? Like actual, you know, putting your hand products, right? That's right. And so we're launching a, uh, a tent that... Uh, I helped design and develop over the last couple of years called the uh, Escape M4. And it's a patented tent, uh, the only one in the world that opens and closes. So it's got a retractable canopy. So this, I mean, I have to guess there's like millions of tents out there, right? Right. I mean, besides this, you know, um, I, like I said it before, it's like on a pre-talk, it's like a, a convertible, convertible tent. What's the really big difference between your convertible tent and other tents out there? I think that's the main thing is that the fact that it is convertible. So if it's, uh, if you're at the beach, up the canopy fully so that you can get some sun. Uh, if you're camping and planning on sleeping in it and you want a little bit of uh, protection, you can, you can close the top down, zip it closed. Um, it's, it's got a lot of the same features as, as many tents on the market. It's waterproof. It's got a rain fly. Um, but ours is it's basically shaped like a hemisphere. And again, the patented part is the fact that, uh, that it opens and closes. So how, how do you make this tent? Like is, is like, um, is it a handmade like machines are making it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's manufactured much like uh, any other tent on the market. Um, but because of the shape and the, the design of it, uh, it's, it's definitely more technical and more expensive. Um, can't just run a, you know, a big piece of material through a, a machine and, 
and have every cut be the same. Um, again, because of the size that tapers at certain points, it gets wider at other points, things like that. So, and is there different colors for the tent? Was it one color for everyone? The, well, the the tent itself, um, we're nailing down the final color right now. We've been putting out surveys to our uh, social media following and uh, getting like votes. user research, so to speak. Exactly, and getting votes on people's favorite colors. Um, the style that we currently have as a main body that's green. The door is yellow with black accents. And then the rain fly is yellow. And you're going to make this here in the United States, in Mexico, China, or how's that going to work? Yeah, unfortunately not in the United States. Um, we'll be making it in China. Um, that's where most tents are made, either China or Vietnam. And you have like extensive, extensive experience in China. Like you, you've been there like probably 10 million thousand times or some crazy number, right? <laughs> what, what's been the pros and cons of like doing business in China? Yeah, I mean, I've been to China over 50 times uh, over the course of really 20 years, roughly. Um, the pros, it's a long ways away. Uh, or con, rather. Um, you know, it's, Some people say that's a pro, right? It's a long way away. <laughs> Get away from their family, their friends, you know? <laughs> Potentially, for sure. Um, let's start with the pros. Um, it's easy to do business in China. Um, you know, I started 20 years ago. Things have changed dramatically. You have to deal with the language barrier or do you know Chinese? No, I can say a couple of words. I can. So that's not really a problem then? No, not really a problem. Um, you know, in, in much like anywhere else in the world, um, English is just such a hugely spoken language that we, all the young people in China learn it in university. And so uh, it makes it really easy for us to go over there and do business. Um, so that's a pro for sure. Um, it's easy to do business in China. Um, I love the culture. Oh, having gone there so many times, I've been to weddings in China. Uh, I've been to a uh, friend's parents' house in China. Um, you know, I've been to most of the major cities. I love the food. That's a, that's a definite, yeah, definite plus. That's a plus for me. Uh, cons, uh, you know, sometimes the food bites back in China. Um, <laughs> it's just a fact. It's a reality. Um, and you mean literally it bites back? It bites back, literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, oftentimes you have to drive a lot in cars and it's, it, that's a little stressful, um, you know, being so far away from home and people certainly drive differently in China than they do here in the States. Um, but yeah, all in all, it's a great experience for me. You know, there's, there's such a long history for me there that, um, I, I like doing business. In, in and, and like, how does someone find a factory to use? Is there like, is there like an agent you go to in China and they find you agent? How does that even work? Sure. There's the, uh, there's definitely the agent route. Um, and that kind of alleviates the need to go to China for a lot of people. Um, I know people that have companies that manufacture in China, they've never been. I'm more of a face-to-face -face kind of person. So I really enjoy that, that kind of connection. Um, there are kind of the, the typical ways. Global Sources is one. Uh, it's a website. Um, of course, uh, Alibaba is another. Um, I think kind of a basic entry road into China for, for manufacturing is um, Canton Fair. It's always a, a great place for people to start. Um, one of the biggest trade shows in the world. And so you can shop everything from garden fertilizer to automotive parts to uh, makeup and fashion and, and kind of my niche, uh, sporting goods in the outdoors. So in China, like when you go there, how, how long have you been in China for one time? About two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. So not really that, not very long, right? Not very long. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, when I first started going there, I would, I would really just go for the 12 days. Um, I've got it down to four or five now. Um, I used to do a lot of travel to the factories, 
but the more business I've done, I've, I've really been able to kind of get the factories to come to me. Um, and then of course, meet in their offices in the main cities so that you're not going to kind of rural China, which requires a lot of car travel. And again, that's, that's not my favorite favorite way to travel over there. And can you kind of give us an idea how big China is? I don't think people realize, I think people realize it's big. They don't realize how big China actually is, right? It's pretty big. Um, yeah, it's huge. Um, obviously stretches all the way up to Russia, you know, all the way to Eastern Europe. I mean, in terms of the population, it's massive. I think it's five X United States at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think to, to, um, fly from Hong Kong to Shanghai is quote me, but I think it's, four and a half, five hours. And that's just on the Eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. Fortunately though, China's developed an incredible railway system. And so you can, you know, you can be on a train going 400 kilometers an hour and, and relaxing and taking it easy while you're traveling. So. And you haven't been since COVID kicked off, right? I have not. No. Um, my last visit to Asia was Singapore, uh, the end of 2019, just before COVID. Okay. And yeah, you have a lot of friends over there. That you keep in touch with, or is this mainly just business people? Yeah, I mean it's biz- it's friendship, mm. business turned friendship rather. Um, so I do stay in touch with them, and and I'm still, of course, working in and with China. I've got um, some clients that I work with and do business for in America, um, in one of my other businesses. Um, but yeah, definitely stay in touch. And then you 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 do it. You're like a world traveler. You did a trip to Thailand a while ago. You did some kind of hike in Thailand, I think, or something you were doing there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I did. So in in my first company, I was doing some international sales toward the end, just really developing our our international network. Uh, and so my big customer in Thailand, uh, I became good friends with. So he invited me over for what they call the Fjall Raven, which is a Swedish backpack brand. Mm-hmm. Um, Fjall Raven Thailand Classic. And so it was a sixty kilometer trek. Up near Myanmar, or rather, um, in Northwest. So yeah, it was like a four night trek, and you know we were going into two thousand year old villages where people of any Westerners have never set foot in, and so really an amazing experience. Yeah. So uh, when I was stationed in Korea with a family, my wife has a cousin that lives in Thailand. So his story was like he was in the Air Force in the seventies, got out of Thailand, stayed there, became pretty much like full time Chinese, a Thailand person right now. They live in a town called Prestonbury, like three hours east of Bangkok. So like, like, the, like the real Thailand. We don't forget the first night we go there, right? Peace on the airport, we go there. And we see people running around town. Like, what's going on? Oh, like, um, there's a tiger that lives here that walks through the village like once a month. And, and, and today's the day to walk through the village. He came a day early, so we weren't prepared, you know? It's like, what? It's like, <laughs> once a month, this tiger would walk through the village, you know? This time he came a day early, so we're ready, right? He's like the chief. Yeah. Nice. So that's craziness. Um, so you, you, you've been to a lot of countries. What's been your favorite place to travel so far? Uh, I mean, I, I love Thailand. Um, China, oddly, is one of my top five, I think. Um, I met my wife in Peru um, on the Inca Trail. So I think a special place in my heart. Uh, and, and Mexico as well. I'm, I'm a fan. So what's a place you've been, you travel to that's like kind of random that you actually like, but people are like, you like that place? Like, I would never go there, but you actually liked it. I think China's probably one of them. Um, Where else? Um, I don't know. I think, you know, for the most part, the the countries I've been to are, are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All of them. Um, I've been to uh, Morocco, you know, and, and I think that surprises a lot of people. It's just not really on the the path, but I've been there a couple of times. I like that. Um, Yeah. I can't really think of any that, uh, okay. come off as a negative. So as an entrepreneur, it's like you, you've been 
uh, going towards like the outdoor space. Any sure. particular reason why that you always been to outdoor space stuff or always camping or how did that happen that you kind of like, you know, entrepreneur in that space? Sure. Sure. Um, I used to be in the hammock business um, and that was just sort of random. And I, I just landed there at one day. I just woke up in a hammock and started a, a hammock company. Um, and, you know, after being in the, in with that company for almost 20 years, um, it, it just became a very comfortable place for me. Um, you know, really in 2008, when the economy went bad, the outdoor industry uh, saw growth. And again, during COVID, been a really strong uh, sector to be in. And so, um, you know, I have a lot of knowledge there. I have a lot of good connections and kind of a un- good understanding of most outdoor products and brands. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been a, it's, it's a good industry. And I, you know, I, I like kind of the social stance that companies in the outdoor industry have taken. And, and so, so yeah, it's home now. So let's go way back in the day. You get out of high school, you decide to go in the Marines. I did. Yep. What, what's, why, why, why the Marines? Why military? Why, you know, go to that thought process? Sure. Well, I mean, um, so my dad was in the Navy and, and one of my brothers was as well. And I think the Navy's great, but I didn't really like their uniforms. Um, <laughs> I was in a political science class in, in community college. And I honestly, I didn't even know what the instructor was talking about. And he asked me a question and I, I, I didn't know. I wasn't even paying attention. And so um, he asked me, what, what are you doing here? I just thought to myself, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't know. What, what I, am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm, I'm, you know, my mom saved all this money to send me to college. I wasn't really paying attention and, and uh, excelling um, just wasn't a great place for me. And so I got up, packed my bag, uh, went home, uh, drove up to the Marine Corps recruiter. Um, and I basically signed up. And the main reason was is the Marine Corps has the best uniforms. I mean, that's no, yeah. No. I'm, I'm in the Army, like, but there's no doubt the Marine has the best uniforms. If I'm going to do this, I want to wear dress blues, you know? And I, and I always love the motto, the few, the proud. And so the best decisions I've ever made. And then you were infantry, but you were like a special type of infantry, right? I was, yeah. So I was in the, uh, what's called the Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. And so uh, they have the LAV, the Light Armored Vehicles. And so that's just a, uh, they, they called us glorified grunts. And so, you know, uh, but we we got to laugh at them because we were driving and they were walking with their gear. So that was that was, that was pretty cool. You did like four or five years. I did four years. Four years. So what are some things that that you, you learn from the Marines that are happening you being an entrepreneur? Sure, um, discipline, um, dedication. Um, you know, I think in the military as a whole, sort of very demanding. As you know, um, you don't get to decide your hours. Don't get to decide when it's time to eat. Um, you know, you're, you're really pushed time. And I think I just instilled in me kind of a, a go get him attitude, but I think I already had that, but it just sort of amplified that. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, not being afraid of, of a challenge for sure. Um, and, you know, accomplishment is, is one of the things they talk about constantly in the Marine Corps. And, and so really I've just sort of used that as my compass, I think. It's been a long time since I was in the Marine Corps, but I, I still fall back on those lessons. And yeah, one thing I think the military does a good job too is like you know, kick you down ten times, get up eleven times, you know, teach you resiliency, you know, you know, stick to and stuff. I think that's a really important lesson. I agree. They teach you too. Yeah, absolutely. So you got you get out of the Marines, and what happens next? Yeah, so um, get out of the Marine Corps, and I went to work at the BNSF Railway. 
Uh, I was a conductor uh, in the freight train world. Um, did that for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, it was, it was much like the military, very demanding. You know, you'd have to go to work at three in the morning. And, you know, I kind of started seeing like the way the guys lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was never, I, I knew it wasn't going to be the end all be all for me. Um, and people always told me, man, you should be in sales. Like you'd be really good in sales. Yeah. And so I, I worked there about a couple of two years. Um, I did a loan out program to Temple, Texas. Um, I lived in the Bay Area, the railroad. And then I just resigned um, and friends, mom, friends that I was really close with their parents called me and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? You're giving up this amazing pension and this, all this great stuff. And so that's when you started figuring out that you want to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, like you didn't want to work for anyone else. You don't want to live a regular nine to five life. Yeah, it, it was coming. It, it, was, yeah. it was coming at that point. And then I, I went into sales. Um, I did really well. And the company I was working for went into uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, and so luckily my boss at the time was a former Marine Corps pilot. And I decided a friend of mine and I decided we were going to go to Thailand and for the first time. And uh, so I called up my boss and uh, he basically said, you know, do your thing, check your email once a week if you can. And uh, you know, I won't charge you any vacation time. And I was like, this is amazing. Uh, nice Marine Corps connection uh-huh. for me. And so went to Thailand uh, where later then I met my first business partner and uh, started the, the hammock company that I mentioned. Um, and, you know, really once I started doing that, you know, I, I knew that I had found my niche mm-hmm. in life. Um, and, you know, it's funny too, like I, I don't hope that I never land in a position where I'll <laughs> forced to think about working for somebody and getting a job, a real job that is. Um, I love being an entrepreneur. The freedom is, is amazing. Um, you know, I work, hard, long hours. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of, um, it's, it's up to me, you know, and I, I like that. So yeah, this in pros and cons, like, like, like people will say, I'm gonna start a business or company cause I don't want bosses. Well, no, you're not gonna have one boss anymore. You're gonna have like customers, vendors on and on and on. Right. And then people will say, well, I, I don't know like my own company. I'm tired of working four hours a week. Well, no, no more 40 hours a week, like 60, 80, 90, you know? Yeah. And a true. lot of people don't get that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I sleep. Um, I, I, you know, I worry about business a lot. I think about business. I'll get up in the middle of the night and, you know, have an idea or a, a thought on how to make something better. Um, and, you know, get up, write about it, work on the computer a little bit. And fortunately, you know, my wife has, has been like hugely supportive. And mm-hmm. so that's a, a critical component of it. Yeah, so let's talk about that real fast. You know, the importance of your, your spouse, close friends, family, what it can be being supportive. I'm not saying we support it, if not, but like, oh, I support you, do what you want to do, you know, but then they're sending like emails, sending you job, you know, job applications and making snot comments. You've spent $100,000 in three years, nothing's coming in. What are you doing, right? You know, like actually a spouse or someone actually supporting you, right? How yeah. important that is. Oh, it's, it's everything. I mean, if, if you're married um, and you don't have that spousal support, I, I mean, I, I think it's a non-starter, you know, I mean, how, you know, for me, my wife has really at, at certain times been the anchor, right? You know, she's had the health insurance for our family. She's had the steady income, right? Like when I, when I left my first company, kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do, she was the one that had the money coming in that, that really kept us in that kind of safe place. Um, and she's in marketing. So, you know, the truth is like, win-win, right? Win-win. I'm able to, um, 
Absolutely. My wife is huge. I mean, she's hugely helpful. That is, um, she's always got good ideas. She's always willing to put, um, some time and energy into, uh, what I'm doing. She helps me write better, um, because of her marketing skills. And so, you know, she proofreads a lot of things that I do and, um, you know, and, and really she's, I th- she believes in me. And I think that's, that's, that's big. that gives me a lot of momentum and, and, uh, I wake up every day and I'm, you know, I'd like to, to accomplish things and yeah. family. This is a big myth being an entrepreneur. Like it's all, you know, when the unicorns are rainbows, everyone's giving you money and everything. Yes. But the amount of times you're here, you're no, you know, just the negativity all the time. Right. I mean, how do you deal with the, all the negativity that you have to, you have to go with, you know? Sure. Um, I, I think you just have to have a short memory, you know, it's like in golf, right? It's uh, a good analogy. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can have a really bad hole and the next hole you can have a great, you know, great score. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I try not to focus on it. I mean, it's there. I mean, there's days where you're terrified. You know this too. You're just terrified. You're just so worried about things. And um, then you hit that high and you start getting that momentum and that traction. And and um, I think that's when you just really double down and stay focused. Yeah. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, we get advice from tons of people, right? And I'll say most of it comes from a good place, right? But a lot of it, even though it's coming from a good place, it's not, it's not good advice, right? Because they're, yeah. they're giving you advice based on what they did back in 2012 or something that worked for them, you know? How you do it, like, you know, decide, deciphering like good advice, bad advice, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I love feedback and, and I love negative feedback too. I mean, that is actually the best one, right? Yeah, when somebody's shooting... As long goals, as it comes from a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Right. As long as it's, it's, uh, it comes with a... It's good criticism, I suppose, to somebody just beating you up. But um, that's something else I, I got from the, the Marine Corps. And I think really growing up, you know, I was the youngest of four, three boys and, and had a single mom for a while. Um, and so really just that resiliency and, and developing thick skin, right? And having, you know, the ability, you, you have to be able to take it. Now, I know a lot of entrepreneurs that have great mentors that are giving them fantastic advice and they're just not willing to listen to yeah, it. You gotta be, you gotta be humble, right? You, you gotta, gotta be willing to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you take it, you know, you, you try and decipher, distill it out a little bit and figure out what, what of what parts of that advice are, are going to be beneficial that you can learn from and, and how you go forward. So Nick, next subject. So you're figuring out you want to be an entrepreneur and you're talking about sales. What makes someone a good salesperson? Um, the ability to take no more than you hear yes, I think. Yeah. And, and, and I think really being um, unafraid, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to send emails and have somebody tell you no. And it's, I think it's really hard for a lot of people to pick up the phone and get hung up on, <clears throat> yelled at, um, don't call me again, don't harass me, and you know, all those sorts of things. And I think to, to really cut your teeth in sales. You know, for me, it started on the phone. Um, but I always enjoyed it. You know, like I, I just, you get that one yes out of 10 and you know, you ring the bell and you, you know, you run around and you shout it, you know, tell everybody you can that you got this great deal going on. And, um, yeah, that's, I, I really always enjoyed that kind of high that comes from success. And were you like training sales? You just learned it on your own. I mean, you know, basic, I started out it with Sprint, Sprint um, Telecom Company, not PCS. Um, so they send you to training, but it's not really sales training. It's more product and and putting knowledge training. 
um, think of the gift of gab, right? I mean, yeah. if, if you're willing to just like communicate and connect with people and be outgoing and, and be friendly and uh, tough mental attitude. Did you do any entrepreneurial stuff as a kid, like sell newspapers or mow lawns or things like that? Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I wasn't the, the child prodigy that, you know, everybody was like, Hey, that guy's going to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I did, you know, cut some lawns here and there. And, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I, my first job was at McDonald's and, you know, my dad would get me out of bed at four in the morning and I'd always work the, the morning shift on the weekends and, and, uh, kind of getting in that groove of, mm-hmm. of responsibility as a young person. Um, I think that was impactful for me. And let's face it, it was a terrible job. So, I mean, I learned early on. I was like, okay, I don't want to do this in life. So I need to figure out something that I can get, I can get yeah. on this. So talk about some of the challenges you have as being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, in the course, right? It's, it's prioritizing the important things. Um, it's learning how to not do everything and finding a way to delegate and building a team. Those are certainly challenges. Money is always a challenge, right? I mean, you start something new, you have to invest money. You know, who who are you going to get to help you? Um, but fortunately, I've been able to like really connect with some great people um, along the way that have that have definitely helped me. Um, good mentors and, and things like that. And it's all about execution, really, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if you can have everyone's got great ideas. Everything has to line up right. Yeah. The perfect team, Time the perfect disc, everything. And one other thing that's often you're, you're fucked, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and executing, right? I mean, again, like we've all got great ideas, right? I have friends, family, lots of people tell me great ideas all the time. That's all it is, right? And so until you're able to kind of encapsulate that idea and, and build that strategy that surrounds it and execute on it, Oh, oh, guess me someone will say, I have an idea. Have you done any like user research or customer research? Oh, no one's doing it. You do a quick Google. Here's like 10 people doing the same thing. Sure. You know, they've all got a lot more money than you. Yeah. And smarter than you and everything else. Yeah. They have part of a board of advisors and blase, blase, blase. And you're like, right. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you are the time. You got to focus on marketing. You got to focus on sales. Got to focus on tech. Got to focus on this, all, all this kind of stuff, right? But, but obviously, there's not enough time to focus everything, right? How do you decide day to day what to focus on? Yeah, good question. I think, um, you know, you need, to, you need to have a strategy and a plan, right? You have to have, you have to build a path. And then from there, you prioritize those things are, that are going to get you to MVP the fastest, I think. Um, those, you know, your, your runway in terms of money. You know, a lot of people don't think about that. And, you know, as they start investing their own personal money and then the money goes dry, you know, did they make the right moves along the way? And so I think that's probably a couple of things. So Nick, next question, which one of these are we going to drink first? What do we got here? All right. Um, the Buffalo Trace. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've tried the dark rye. You haven't? Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that first. Okay. Sure. We're going to pep things up here on the Jason right, Cabinet experience. I, I like it. I like it. Right. And we're not sponsored by any of, these, any of these bourbons. We're just having a little fun. 
Well, cheers. Tasty. Tasty. Yeah. Very, very nice. Very nice. So, you do the entrepreneur thing. Are there any, any certain tools that you use? Well, let me backtrack. So, one thing I think is entrepreneur people don't realize, like, they know it's gonna, some entrepreneurs are going to take a long time, right? Like, two, three, four years. Like, the, the example I use all the time, you know, it took Apple, like, eight years to become Apple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they interviewed Mark Zuckerberg, like, 2010. Facebook, you know, first, and the quote made it. Mark, what's it like the overnight success? Well, if your definition of overnight success is me coding in my dorm for six years, yeah, I'm an overnight success, right? right. Don't get that. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't get either is how many people are going to come and go to your company when you first start, right? Because they have the same mentality, right? I'll work with the startup for six months. I'll be like stock options. And it's going to take a while, right? Mm-hmm. Have you, how, if you dealt with it, how have you dealt with people coming and going, right? Like working for you, not working for you. How have you dealt with that? Yeah. I mean, I think looking back at my first business where we had uh, 16 employees at one time, um, you know, it, it's, you try and find great people and you hope they stick around. You try and, you know, treat them right and build a good culture. But inevitably, people do come and go um, for a variety of reasons, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's tough, you know, I mean, you, you, sometimes you think you can compel people by paying them more or, um, you know, giving them more uh, benefits and things like that. Um, and the reality is it's just, it's, it's, you gotta, you know, entrepreneurs always need to remember it's your business. That's a great you point. Know? And, and as much as you love it, um, people have their own goals. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think it's, it's tough, you know, I mean. Yeah. Too many entrepreneurs. How come employee X isn't all in like I am? Cause it's not your company. You're probably paying them a little on and on and on. Right. Sure. Even if, even if you have a co-founder 50, 50, it's your idea, right? They're going to be all in as like you are. Right. And people don't realize that. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think it's, um, yeah. I mean, most recently I had, uh, I had a co-founder. He's an amazing guy. And, you know, we were, I, you know, Things were going really well, and and ultimately we ended up separating. And he's got his own dreams and aspirations. And you know, I look back, I think I made some mistakes with that, and and I uh, try and learn from it. That that's one of the keys. You have to you have to be very honest about uh, with yourself and with other people, and and um, you know, you just try and learn from your mistakes and do better the next time. Yeah. I have, I have a friend in the Bay Area. He has a saying, well, all, all of us are not winners, right? And I think that's true, right? We're not all winners. We're not on the same level. Like, in turn, we have a certain drive, certain focus, and everyone's not like that. Even other entrepreneurs on the same way. What they call entrepreneurs, so to speak, you know? Sure. And so how do you, I mean, it's a, how do you surround, surround yourself with the right people? Do you have like a hiring process that you trust or like you just refer from friends? Like, how do you go through that? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, I think back on my first business, I, I definitely made the, the wrong hires more than one time. And it was funny. My wife helped me really come to this understanding is that I always hired people that I liked, you know, I thought, well, this guy, he's a cool guy or she's a cool gal. And, you know, like we get along well and they're not qualified for that, but you know, we can, we can get them there or I can teach skills. They'll do something else. And, uh, you know, and a couple couple people that ended up working out, but most of the people it didn't. You know, and so then, you know, I had a really hard time firing those people too because I really liked them, mm-hmm. and so I would I would pivot them 
to different yeah. roles. Yeah. Everyone says <laughs> fire fast. No one fires fast. Yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, you're, you're no one wants to be the bad guy. Somebody's life, you know, and, and their livelihood. And so, and that's a good point. When people, we hire people, a lot of people don't realize you're not hiring like employee. You're not hiring like Susan Jones. You're hiring Susan Jones and her family because now the whole family right. counts to you for your health benefits, you know, pay, mortgage. It's a whole family you're actually hiring. I don't think people think about that enough. Yeah, absolutely. I know an old boss and mentor of mine. Um, I remember he asked me one day, he's like, have you ever fired anybody? Neff, have you ever fired anybody? But no, I haven't. He said, well, you can't be a manager until you have. You know, and it took me a while to understand that. And, and then I had to fire somebody. And then he promoted me to, <laughs> to be a manager. Uh, but it was terrible. It was a horrible experience. Yeah. I, I, and I always say it's, 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 people think it's worse for the person you're fired. It's actually, if you're a good manager, a good boss, it's actually worse for you. you yeah. fire someone Because you're thinking, how do I feel this person? What could I have done better? You know, we should have been more training. Should have been this, should have been that, you know? And, and instead it's like, no, well, person got fired because the person put themselves in position to be fired. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have to do everything you can to try and help somebody succeed. And if you've just hired the wrong person, that's a different, different sort of, or, or if they're doing something wrong or, or illegal or against company policy, those are different. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the fire fast, but you know, it's, it's a person and they've yeah. got, it's their livelihood. And we're looking at that too. Once, once you actually let someone go, you can just say, Hey, you know what? That, that's a, that's a quick, they can find a better opportunity for themselves, you know, and a quick, quick, you find someone to replace them too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of times, you know, people, take being fired very hard. Yeah. You know, and especially, and, especially comes out the blue. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like on Monday, Jason, Jason Cavins, you're the best friends I have in the morning. You know, all your shit's packed up. You know, like what the fuck's going on? <laughs> exactly. You're not a culture fit. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think, um, you know, another mentor taught me like nobody should be surprised they're being fired. And, and if they are surprised they're being fired, then you did them wrong. Yes. You, know, yeah. you didn't take them down the proper channels to try and help them. You used to keep me in the army all the time when like in the army, people would say, you know, you know, we'll say Sergeant so-and-so is not performing. He's not doing this right. Well, have you told him? Well, what I, I don't, what I got time for, they know they're not doing right. Well, logic says if they knew they're doing wrong and messing up, they would fix it right. That's right. Yeah. But they're just doing the same thing over and over again. So like, what's going on here? Is yeah. it because they're messing up or is it because you haven't told them, held them accountable, you know? Sure. And it happened all the time. I mean, especially army. In it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the Marine Corps too. I mean, and I think that's just, that's bad leadership. You're doing them a disservice by, we can't assume everything, right? I mean, you walk into a, a target or something like that and, you know, you hear a consumer ask somebody a question and blown away by, by what they're asking. You're like, what do you mean? How do you open it? You twist the top off, right? So you can only do so much sometimes. Mm -hmm. So totally random, right? You know, talking about customer service. So I'm under Chick-fil-A this morning, right? And Chick-fil-A always has a great user experience, right? So I go to the drive-thru. I hear like, my pleasure, great day. What can I do for you? Please come again. It's like, customer service is so rare these days, I think, right? I mean, I think it's kind of bad that Chick-fil-A, a fast food, makes a fast food restaurant, is like the icon of customer service now, right? Right. Versus like maybe, I mean, Starbucks, I think Starbucks is good too. But you think like, what happened to customer service? Like, and I think that's kind of part of the reason like all these like JC Penney's, Kohl's, and Steel's are going out of business, right? I think customer service disappeared. I just yeah. think it's kind of weird that like Chick-fil-A is like the standard bearer for great customer service. 
And it used to be McDonald's, right? I mean, again, working at McDonald's when I was 16, you weren't allowed to say, is that it? Mm-hmm. Right. When the customer is that it? their order, is that it? Is that it? You're like, well, what else do you want me to order? Uh, yeah, that's all I want. Right. And so I've always prided myself and our, our, my companies on excellent customer service, right? Whether it's, it's in the service world, like we have a sales and marketing agency too. Um, you know, when our customer needs us, they need us and it's our job to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, in the product world, Really, it comes down to if you're not putting a quality product out there, well, you know, you're not going to be around long. Yeah. Um, but even if you have a quality product and you don't stand behind it with like a lifetime warranty, mm-hmm. you know, Patagonia, for example, yeah. I mean, you can have a jacket 10 years and if it rips, you can send it back and they give you a new one. So mm-hmm. like, it's mind blowing. Um, but I think going above and beyond and making sure that people are happy, you know, you want them to leave a good review, especially in the new digital world. Oh, yeah. I it mean, if somebody works. wants to cancel you or, or start a fight, Bring their army against your business because mm-hmm. you don't treat them right. I mean, or, or everyone, everyone's influencer now, right? Everyone has like two, 1,200 people on Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, you know. Yeah. And it, it gets out there. It's, yeah, it's, you're, you're toast. Yeah. I mean, lived in um, Chicago. Um, the power company ended up, there was a weird billing thing that went down. And my wife, because she's in the marketing and research world, she found her way to the CEO's email. She couldn't get anywhere along the way with customer service. And of course it's big business, right? Yeah. So they weren't doing the right thing. I'm pretty sure he responded very quickly. On a Sunday, on a Sunday, she got an email from the CEO and said, my team will be in contact. Please take it easy. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, I thought that that's a pretty incredible. That's pretty responsive. Yeah. So another round of story. So I want to visit Dallas, man. I think last week it was two weeks. I have no idea about time. My my um, my grandson, my family, all that kind of stuff. So in the airport, airport flying back with some kind of restaurant in the airport, and like and the customers were so bad, right? And so me and the guy were talking to each other, and the guy said, "Ask the ask the lady, uh, can I ask you where you're from?" And she like in Indiana. Yeah, I figure you're from Texas. You know, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Texas don't don't do this. I figure from out of state, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, that was so so funny. Congrats, by the way, on, oh, uh, on being a grandpa for the first time. Yeah, That's amazing. It's still kind of weird. Like I joke around. I get to take credit for something someone else did, right? There you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So back to your tent. How do you like, I mean, it's not a tent. Like you have to make decisions, like what kind of material to use, what kind of like all these, like what kind of like, what's the, the thing called the, um, not the, uh, not the material, like the, the, the frame, like what kind of material the frame is that make out of? Sure. Like, how do you decide all this? Like that's, I mean, I'm pretty sure like, a, like one is more expensive, more is more durable market production, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. How does that all go? It seems like it's kind of complicated. Yeah. All the above really. I mean, it's, um, you know, obviously you're, you're thinking about the price point, Mm -hmm. right? How much are you going to sell your, your product for? Speaking of that, who's like your demographic for that? It's like, uh, families, 25 to 35 with kids, four to six people like want to like, you know, hike the Appalachian trail or like all the above. Yeah, no, not, not all the above. Um, it's definitely not a backpacking tent. It's, it's heavier than most. Um, and that's because of the, the spherical mm-hmm. nature of it. So it requires seven tent poles. So anybody that's in the outdoor space understands that, you know, even if it's aluminum, seven tent poles is, and they're 11 feet long, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, that's quite a lot of material. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a family camping, mm-hmm. car camping, uh, beach tent, mm-hmm. uh, camping tent, festival tent. Um, so our demographic is really probably, you know, 20 to say, um, we've got certainly customers. We think we'll have customers 
a little younger, but not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the cheapest 10 out there. Um, and then of course, certainly beyond 60 as well, but I, I'd say that's our sweet spot. Okay. But yeah, when we're, when we're thinking about, you know, uh, product development and production, you know, it's, it's, it's about finding that, that price point where you want to be. And that really dictates the material, um, aluminum poles, fiberglass poles, uh, super lightweight material, um, more thick and durable material, kind of the use and all of those things. So we build that all into our product development. So I watched the, the Kickstarter video that you're going you're to push out. And I, I was kind of amazed that one of your points is like, it's a um, mosquito proof, right? Aren't our tents mosquito proof? I, 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 I well, so that's in kind of like getting feedback from a lot of mm-hmm. uh, potential consumers. So the tent opens up, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're at the beach, it's open, you're kind of enjoying the sun. Um, and then incrementally it'll, it'll close. Mm-hmm. What people didn't really understand kind of in our early marketing was, so if it's open, you close it, then how do you stop the bugs from getting in? Okay. And so the floor zips, it zips okay. completely closed. Now, I mean, if you close it and there's a hundred mosquitoes in there, yeah, you're done. There's still a hundred mosquitoes yeah. in there. But you know, most most instances, you know, if they're if you're in a really heavy bug area, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to open it up. Yeah, you know, you're just going to keep it all buttoned yeah. up. Um, you know, it's nicely ventilated on top on the door as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you get some air coming through when it's buttoned up. But and does it come in different sizes or just one size? Just one size at this at okay. this time. Yeah. yeah, I believe the viewer said that it actually fits four people, two adults and two kids can comfortably be in there. No problem. I mean, we were going to call it a five person tent, but there's really no market. There's yeah. No, or five person tents out there. Um, I think the common four person tent is like two people with gear okay. or a dog or something like that. Ours is genuinely, you could get four full grown adults in there, problem with gear. I know you did uh, some user research on social media, like different colors. Yeah. What were the colors you put out there? What color, I quote unquote, one? Or is that still going on? Yeah, it's still going on. I mean, I think um, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you always think that, like, hey, our favorite color is, yeah. is, purple and gold, for mm-hmm. example. And, and that's just, that's just your opinion. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, that's another important thing I think is not in the product game, even in the service, figuring out what other people like, not just assuming kind of an important thing. Um, I think right now, probably the color that's winning is, is blue and yellow. Uh, and a lot of people just kind of associate that the blue is the sky yeah. and yellow is the sun. Now, does, does the cost of tent going to matter based on the price? I'm not based on the color. No, okay. not at all. Um, what we'll probably do, um, if everything goes according to plan, is once we hit a, a, a milestone or a, a donation backer milestone, mm-hmm. um, is unlock a second color. So there's always MOQ, which is minimum order quantity, mm-hmm. um, and with that, you know, we need to order 500 tents, and so and, and our tents aren't cheap. Yeah. Right? Not not us to buy and for us to sell either um so you know we'll, we'll need to hit that threshold and once we do we'll probably unlock us no our choice number two now the tents are they going to be handmade like automated made by robots or how is that, that process going to do no no robots that'd be cool though um basically it's it's um you know the way they make a tent is they'll create a pattern and then essentially they'll they'll lay it out on the material and then they cut it accordingly mm-hmm. uh, so it'll be cut and sewn by hand um, not stitched by hand, mm. but, you know, with machines, obviously. Mm. Um, and then once they, you know, start putting these panels together, then they put tape sealing on them and that waterproofs the seams. 
and then, you know, ultimately put the floor on it. And so for waterproof, is it waterproof like up to like, you know, six inches of rain, uh, hurricane level water or is this, how does that work? Yeah, it's, it's a hydrostatic head is okay. the way they measure it. And ours is 4,000 millimeters. And that's based on like the amount of that the rain mm-hmm. can apply. Um, so in the tent world, there's, there's polyester tents, nylon tents, okay. um, uh, you know, other kinds of like heavier, thicker materials. Um, polyester is the better choice um, from a water standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just, um, and then it's got to be coated as well. Okay. And I'm going to presume like the tents we made in China, I'm going to presume that it's, it's cheaper like to send a thousand tents over one time versus one at a time. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so um, ideally you're, you're shipping a container, mm-hmm. um, which I think probably for our tent would be 1,500 tents, mm-hmm. maybe a couple thousand. You fill up a whole container and you, you ship the whole thing. Out. And they go from China. I suppose you have a thousand tents. Mm-hmm. Do the thousand tents go to the United States and then get shipped out individually to a thousand customers or they, or they come to another, another, like another holding place here in the United States and then ship out? Yeah, no. So it'll come in clear customs and then we'll put them into a, a 3PL, uh, third-party logistic warehouse, and then essentially connect our software from our website and, and through Kickstarter into there. And then, um, We'll ship them one at a time or hope, you know, maybe people want to buy two at a time and we'll ship them two at a time. So your Kickstarter goes, and we'll talk about this more detail in a minute, but your Kickstarter goes live, goes live May 13th, right? May 13th. Can you, and I talk about this some too. Can you talk about some of the pros and cons of doing the Kickstarter, like the, the amount of work, you know, just the whole headache with that, or maybe it's not a headache? No, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they have a pretty phenomenal platform, really. Um, so I don't think much of a headache per se. Um, the amount of work you have to do uh, without having, a, yeah, you don't just post, with, you just don't post something by my tin and me and people buy it. No, right? you, no, you don't. I mean, it, it, it's an expensive endeavor and there's two ways to do it. There's the right way and the wrong way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's kind of the, the unknown, you know, I've, I've never really had that fear of the unknown. It's kind of exciting to me, but at the same time, you know, we've invested a lot of money in this. Mm-hmm. And so in time, I'm sure in time. Yeah, absolutely. And so you need to make sure that you've, you know, you've got the, the following in place that people are motivated by the product. You know, you've got that product. The community up and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then I think you, you, you make sure you do everything properly ahead of time. And once the campaign goes live, you're, you're kind of in the abyss at that mm-hmm. point. You're in the deep end of the pool. There's, there's no turning back. It's on your baby's out there for the world to see. Uh, you know, and you just hope everybody. That's the thing about doing a crowdfunding Kickstarter. You're, you're you're out there for the world to see, right? Yeah. Your products out. There. You're out. You're out there. I mean, you got you got to put John Neff out there. Your personality. You know, your co-founder, the team. I mean, it's, there's no hiding, right? There's no this. You're all you're out there for everyone to see. Yeah. And, and to be criticized or praised, where the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. So, um, our social media team. Somebody had posted a negative comment recently. Um. And they took it down. And, you know, I, I noticed that the comment had been taken down mm-hmm. and we put it back up and, yeah. then, and then we addressed it. You yeah, know? So it's like, do, yeah. you know, I don't want to hide from feedback mm-hmm. and, and the critique. I want to address it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have to know it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that's doing the Appalachian Trail is not going to take my product. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully he doesn't take it right. <laughs> uh, hopefully <laughs> it's going to be a long walk. Yeah. It definitely his life, more, his life is going to suck. It definitely weighs more than, you know, a backpacking tent. Um, but I think over all these years, I've, I've learned, you know, like people love certain brands and people mm-hmm. hate certain brands. And there's always going to be the people, the naysayers. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to, you have to find the people that are supportive of it. And, um, 
you know, I think I've got a lot of, a lot of friends, a lot of family um, that are ready to support the campaign. A lot of people on social media. I mean, um, my friend Rue, who I basically bought the design from, and then, and then over the last couple of years, he and I redesigned it and, and really evolved it is a better way to put it. You know, I mean, he had, there's a lot of people that have been waiting for this tent. They've seen some video footage of it. And so we're, we're excited. We think it's going to go well. Is the tent actually made already? Like you already have like a hundred that made already? Are you, are you not going to make them to you like have the, or the orders come in? Well, so backing up a couple of years, we were going to launch in 2019 and um, things with my other business happened. And so I wasn't able to, to launch. Um, 2020, we were going to launch beginning of the year. Uh, but we got our kind of our final sample. Um, basically, the the uh, manufacturing process had changed, unbeknownst to us, and so it would have required quite a few thousand more dollars. And so okay. we were like, okay, we need to park this, and then COVID hit. Okay. So uh, no, we're working with with uh, pre production samples mm-hmm. right now, and so waiting on our final sample. And then you know we've had a lot of people ask like very specific details, and so we'll be we'll be releasing that over the next thirty days. So let's go back to China for a minute. Something I forgot to ask you. What are mistakes you see people making when they do business in China? Uh, to me, number one is not going. You have to be there. I, you have I to show, so. show face, right? You got to be, make a, okay. I think so. I, mean, I, I think that, you know, as, as a business, it's a partnership, really. Mm-hmm. When you start working with a factory, I mean, you need to, you need to, that partnership. Um, and I think when you do that, you make that effort to go there, to eat their food, mm-hmm. you know, to, dinner with them, you know, you're building a, that's the foundation of the partnership. Uh, and again, I know some people that have never been that do business there. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and you know, really then you're putting your, your business in someone else's hands and have to, to have, me, that's have the water away. That's pretty scary to not know who the, who you're doing business with. And, um, so yeah, I think that's probably number one. I think number two, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs kind of pound their fist on the table and scream and yell at the, factory worker, you know, your, your sales contact or your mm-hmm. person you're working with. And, and you know, that's kind of the Western way, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if you're not getting what you like, you scream about it. Um, that's not the Chinese way at all. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, it's a, it doesn't make for a good partnership. And so I've, I've seen that that's probably number two. And number three is assuming everything's going to be cheap. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless you're in the cheap product space, mm-hmm cups or something, for example, um, you have to, you really have to know what the, the composition, the bill of materials is. So this question for you, like when I was in the army in Korea, you know, we just did all this like, like high level exercise in Korean military. And every time we, we do, we have to go, we have to go drinking them. Right. I mean, anything is like, and it's a lot of, they drink, like it's a lot of drinking, right? Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing with the Chinese. You like, you're going to do some drinking for you to get down to business. You're going to do some drinking for sure. Um, yeah, I've had some very bad long nights in China. Uh, there, it's always fun, of course. Yeah, and, and really, in the very beginning too, um, they want you to try what they like, mm-hmm. right? And so, oftentimes, it's not the drinking; it's sometimes it's the food. Yeah, that they want the they're, back. They're pushing on you, and yeah. they're like, "Hey, try this intestine," and you're yeah. like, "No, I'm good. I don't need intestines." They're like, "No, you have to try." Take us out of this. this um ox blood or something yeah, crazy. Exactly. And so you end up, you know, you do it because you're, you're building that rapport mm-hmm. and that trust. Um, fortunately, I, I work with a lot of the same people, <laughs> so I've passed my test. Yeah. You passed that point. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have to do the, uh, you know, the, the 
blood snake <laughs> venom anymore. So I'm, I'm over that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Um, so back, back to sales real fast. When did you realize that you were good at sales? Or at least you could, you know, good enough to know, get customers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to me, it was, it was kind of a challenge. People just kept saying, Hey, you should be in sales. Mm-hmm. Like, are you in sales? You should be, you're good at sales. You should be in sales. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it's like if, if enough people tell you you're, you're good looking and you should be in the movies, yeah. like, all right, I'm going to be a movie star. Um, I never got that. Um, <laughs> um, I think really then once I got into it and, and I was able to kind of overcome that, that, that scared mentality of being in sales. Um, I knew then that I would, that I would be in a good place. You know, it's funny in my first company too, I remember um, literally driving around in a truck with hammocks in the back of this thing and going up to, like to an ACE hardware or anywhere that, that we thought it might be interested in our hammocks. Mm-hmm. And this one time in particular, we pinned the, you know, the store manager in the corner and, you know, whip out the hammock and, you know, look at this, showing them all this stuff. This is the greatest thing ever. You got to try them. And then the guy looks at me and he says, if I buy your product, we leave my store. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, and he wrote us a check right there on the spot, like literally handed us a check and we ran directly across the street to the bank and cashed it. Nice. And I was like, yeah, man, like if, if we can do that, all we have to do is go to a thousand more stores. Um, and that was kind of the mentality, you know, it was just, that's a good point. I think that's go crazy. I think entrepreneur, like you hear no all the time. You might hear like a hundred no's. Like, like, like not no, but hell no, fuck no, no way in hell. But some might say, I'll think about it. And then like that makes your day right. Yeah. He, he might, he might buy my product. Yeah. And then just motivates you to keep on going, right? But I learned that guy, the the maybe or I'll think about it was the guy I was always most afraid that's of. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just tell me no. Tell me no. Well, you'll uh, you'll buy from me and yeah, I'll leave. That's a good point. Yeah. Or don't. And then you waste time going back to, to then you waste your time going back to the maybe. Exactly. So he I, has no intention of buying. Yeah. I think it's important to get to that yes or get to no. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, move along. And then and then bug them again in a month. Yeah. If they say that's no. a good point. Like you you are like doing sales or whatever, you're you're selling some product and like you send emails calling, they never the question is how often do you follow up? Like how often do you follow up before you think you become annoying? I have I have another one guy I follow on social media named Steli FD has a company, a sales company for starters called Close.out, Close.com. His thing that he follows but he says no. His story is like he follows an investor nine, no, not nine, like 97 times. The investor finally answered 98 times and said, Hey, thank you. I've been busy, family emergencies. That's talking about me investing, right? So I'm even more than 98. So this, you know, he called email 98 times for this person finally investing right. So for your point of view, how often do you follow up before you're like, okay, I'm wasting my time or, you know, new things or like, hey, kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of the the old way and the new way. The new way is LinkedIn where somebody like badgers you and hits you with a, you know, a LinkedIn every single day. They're trying to sell you something. Yeah. And then pretty soon you just like cut the connection because you can't, yeah. you just can't take the spam, yeah. right? Um, I think you need to be respectful, mm-hmm. um, but you need to be, and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, I always think like, that I'm trying to work with and sell to, they don't, they don't owe me anything. Yeah. You know, so I, I try and keep it like, I don't want to cross the line and yeah. be that guy. Um, you know, but I, it's funny. I used to tell my, my sales guys, like, if you have a customer that buys from you and, and it's funny, it's like, an, I, I use a weird analogy, right? It's like, if you have a girlfriend 
your girlfriend stops returning your calls or picking up the phone, she's not your girlfriend anymore. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to tell my sales guys, like, if your customer isn't calling you back or returning emails or communicating with you, then you have to assume it's not your customer, mm -hmm. you know, because they would always show me like their customer list. Here's a report. Here's an update or whatever. I'd be like, well, these 10 people you haven't communicated with. Ah, yeah, it's all good. And it's like, well, it's been four months. Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. So I think then you just have to either cut bait or figure it out. So for your tent, is there going to be any um, add-ons? Like, um, I can't think of the term, like when you buy something. The rewards. No, not the rewards. Like, like suppose like you, like you buy a glass and then, you know, you buy a glass for $5 and then a month later you sell them like, you sound like a smaller glass for $2, right? I can't think of the term it is. Like, not add-ons, but um, I'm talking about right. Yeah, like um, like creating lifetime value. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, you, you, you're going to sell a tent and then, like, maybe sell, I don't know, like a bigger foam mattress for the tent or... Yeah, for sure. So, during the campaign, um, we're, we're going to have add-ons, of course. Like, add-ons, add-ons. That's what it's yeah, add-ons. Add hats. Um, we're doing, like, some reusable bags, you know, so when you go to the grocery store kind of playing along that same, like planting trees and, and, you know, just, um, which is something I can talk about in a minute, but, um, uh, you get a backpack with it, you get the rain fly with it. Um, we're going to, we're going to add some solar lights inside of it and just some other cool little add-ons. Um, but as, as our, our product development roadmap goes, yeah, I mean, we've got five more products basically lined up to come behind the tent mm -hmm. and kind of our, our whole, our whole thought is really, it's like, okay, you've got a tent, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're, whether you're camping or at the beach or at a festival, what else do you need to go with your tent? Right. So for us, it's like, okay, we need a cooler, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got a, we've got a, uh, a backpack cooler mm -hmm. that's coming out. Um, we've got and all this will be made in China, uh, China or Vietnam. Vietnam okay. Yeah. And, um, one, uh, it, we're looking to do some American made stuff, mm -hmm. but it's tough right now. Um, it's a lot more expensive. And, and so we're, kind of working on that supply chain side of things, but um, definitely have more products coming out. So, so someone buys a tent from you, right? What's, what's the process after them? Like, how are you going to follow up with them? Make sure they they like the tent. Like what's going to be the user experience for someone who buys a tent? Sure. Well, of course it's going through Kickstarter in the beginning. Um, and then uh, basically I think a lot of feedback will come through social media, excuse me. Um, and ideally then really kind of uh, once we're off of the Kickstarter platform uh, on our, our direct to consumer website, um, and basically, uh, looking for good reviews. That's, that's where a lot of that feedback comes in, but, you know, essentially just following up with them. Um, you know, we want to know that people are satisfied with our product and, you know, we stand behind it. And so if there's issues then we'll be happy to address those issues as well. And your company's headquartered in Seattle right now it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you have more than one company. And so let's talk about this for a minute. It's like, so there's a lot of people out there and nothing wrong with that. A lot of people that are like working nine to five, they can be able to handle work, working nine to five, you know, and you know what the case would be, but you're the CEO of three companies. Yep. Like, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's a lot, right? It is. And like, you no know, people like say, you no, know, Elon Musk has all this stuff going on, time management, you know, like talk about time management focus. And first of all, like, I know Elon Musk, he works like three days, one company, three days, another company, another day, like quote, quote, family time. He works hundred hour weeks. So I'm going to throw a lot of stuff right now. Like, you have three companies. Do you like, you know, work 100 hours a week? Do you like balance it out? Do you wing it? Like, how do you do all this stuff right? I mean, the three companies is a lot. It is, yeah. And, and really, um, so 
so Compo is, is pre-revenue, mm-hmm. right? So we've never sold a, a product, right? So this is like just a lot of work um, leading up to. I was encouraged to not do Compo this year, but you know, I feel like I've been sitting on it for a little while mm-hmm. and uh, there's no expiration date on a tent. You know, I, I want to be first to market mm-hmm. and I, I want to do it this year. I mean, uh, the outdoor industry has had a phenomenal, phenomenal 2020 in spite of the pandemic. A lot of people are getting outside. Uh, we're all stir crazy. We want to be in the outdoor space where we don't have to wear a mask and we can, you know, set distance ourselves from other people. Um, so that was a bit of a timing thing, right? It just, I felt like it needed to happen. Um, our sales and marketing agency um, is really, our, you know, how we, how we making money. That's Traction Bridge. Traction Bridge. That's right? Traction Bridge. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then um, launching uh, a wholesale B2B marketplace. Uh, focusing on uh, the outdoor sector, uh, outdoor lifestyle, sporting goods sector. And so uh, with Compo, like really swelling up and getting big the last month in terms of output of energy, um, you have to find that balance. I mean, I'm certainly not Elon Musk um, anyway at all, uh, but I do like his, his approach, right? Where you basically kind of divide your time and you're disciplined about it. You know, and so you work on... Uh, company A one day or one hour, right? And so you break your time up. And for me, it's it's. Um, I was working with a uh, like a, a business coach for a while, and I, and I think that's important too for people to realize is is there's a lot of help out there in a variety of ways and kind of uh, types of help. And so the focus with that that particular coach was um, uh, priority management. So not of like time and priority management, right? And so focusing on the biggest and most important things, kind of letting the other things be oh, and, and delegating that stuff off. Um, and that, that was really beneficial for me. I mean, I, I, I thought that was a great way to approach things. And so that's important. So Track and Bridge is like your, your like a core business, so to speak, like your marketing. And who do you do? Like who does Track and Bridge serve? Like who your, who's your customer for them? Yeah, sure. So we work with um, pre-pandemic, um, you know, and I was in that Founders Institute program. Um, and really kind of the, the whole idea was that there's, there's 4 million plus factories in China. And I, through all my time working there, realized that a lot of the ways that companies kind of approach the, the entering the U.S. market is is through price, mm-hmm. right? And and that always results in the race to the bottom, and and that's a dangerous place to be, right? Like we all do our business to make money, not yeah. lose money. And so, you know, I kind of identified that as a niche that was was uh, worth going after. So because of my connections and all the factories I know and the brands that I know in China, I thought, hey, that'd be a, that'd be a great place to start up company and kind of go after. Um, and really, you know, we manage their Amazon business, their social media business, their direct to consumer business. Um, and, uh, yeah, when the pandemic happened, you know, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to sustain, I didn't know if there were going to be ships going across the water or or factories were going to be, you know, producing product. Nobody knew what was going on. And so we basically pivoted and and started kind of targeting us based customers as well. Brands. because it doesn't matter where you're from. You, know, you go to a trade show, you spend your, your $30,000, you put your beautiful products out there in your beautiful booth and your great brand, and you talk to five people and nobody buys anything. 
that's like very, it's very common in, in the trade show space, right? Um, trade shows have become more of a marketing kind of a, a project where people like to, you know, drink and hang out and, and have fun. And, you know, for the young company that's very serious and they're, they're there to write orders mm-hmm. and orders aren't being written. So um, I kind of put all that 20 years of knowledge together and was like, man, I, there's, this has got an idea. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's Traction Bridge. Um, so let's back to the tent. Your tent actually has a patent for it, right? It does. Can you yep. talk about the process of getting a patent? You know, was it hard, expensive? Why even do a patent? And, and doing the patent, do you think that's going to be like a business multiplier for the tent? Sure. I think, you know, from a business multiplier standpoint, having any IP um, support a company or a product is definitely makes the product worth more money from an investor's eye or a, a potential acquirer from, you know, they're sitting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it's, it's safe. Um, yeah, I think that it used to be difficult to get patents and, and it's not cheap. I mean, you definitely have to pony up some money. You know, you're paying an, an attorney. Um, you can do it yourself, but. But why? Um, but why? I mean, I don't have that kind of time and, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I don't like reading contracts and documents and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think finding attorneys in those kind of niche of your business are, are really critical. And how long is the process from. The, the idea of the patent to actually getting it approved. Yeah. So there's, there's basically like the, the research um, application and then basically you wait like a year, okay. right? It, it's kind of in this um, USPTO's hands. So then they say, Hey, cool. You're good to go. And then you pay your attorney more money. I mean, he of does, course. and he or she does whatever they do. And then ultimately you, you get your, uh, your, you know, it's patent pending, right? So what happens like you apply for a patent, we'll say February, 2022. Mm-hmm. And three months later, someone else applies for the patent because they don't know you applied for one. Do they get kicked back? You already applied for it or? Yeah, it's for, it's first come first. Okay. And so, you know, that's why it's important. You know, you don't take your product to market before it's patented. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't make it known to everybody. I mean, if you really want to protect it, right, mm-hmm. you need to, you need to do um, all those things. But then again, I mean, um, we used to have a beach blanket and it was patented and all somebody in it had a, this connected pouch where you would stuff it inside of this mm. beach blanket. So all people would have to do, because if you want to patent all these different applications, you have to pay more money, yeah. right? You patent this. Okay. You pay that. And then you patent this little piece for it. Okay. It's an add on essentially. And it's expensive for a young company. And so typically what people do is they just the bare minimum, right? Mm. Unless you're getting you're a big company. Yeah. Um, and then somebody changes it. I think it's, I forget. I think it's 18% through it. Mm. And so now the only difference between a beach blanket and theirs is their pockets not connected. Okay. But they put a different pocket where you can stuff your stuff pouch in and they sell it for cheaper. Right. And so, um, and the other thing with patents is too, I mean, if, if you're going to pony up all the money to, to protect your product and somebody wants to knock it off, then you have to be able to willing to defend your patent. Which is more money. Which is more, more lower fees. Yeah, exactly. I think the lawyers like that, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> kind of conspiracy. So your next company is, 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 is it skew, skew candy? Skew candy. That's right. Yeah. So the first question, like was traction bridge first and skewed and compo. How did they, how did they no, compo go? was first, um, then traction bridge. Um, and when I was in founders Institute, um, you know, here in, I basically went through FI because I, you know, I started my first company, I bootstrapped it, 
um, it took a long time to figure out things. And, and I thought, man, in this new world of technology, um, you know, what am I missing? And, and I'm sure there's new things to learn. And, and what I learned is there's not. Oh, it's the same. It's execution. It's strategy. It's, you know, it, starting a company in 1900 is very similar to starting a company in, in yeah. 2021. But the great experience was I was in this room full of like cryptocurrency guys and fintech and SaaS and like mind blowing ideas, right? Like hyper smart people. And none of them were making money. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one in the room making money. And that, but I'm the only one in the room with no technology and they all have technology, right? So I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, where'd you guys get all this technology? You make money. Like you actually make money. Like you, what do you, your business is so basic. Like, how do you make money? And, you know, I would always joke with them. It's block and tackle. Yeah. You know, we do what people have done for decades, centuries, probably. Um, but I was always looking for that piece of technology, right? Working with the mentors. And, and so that's kind of where Skew Candy came from. It's like an evolution of Traction Bridge. Um, one of our customers had asked me like, Hey, do you think you could, you could help us get into retail? And I was like, of course I can. So, you know, I, I busted out my earpiece and I sat down and, and I made a list of retailers and I started calling them. And at the end of the day, I was like, oh man, that was hard work. Austin, like, basically I was a sales rep again mm-hmm. and I knew I didn't want to be a sales rep again. So I was like, all right, I need to, I need to find a way to this into a technology play. And so really with the rise of wholesale marketplaces, that's kind of where the idea came from. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our slogan is where brands meet buyers. Okay. And that's really the goal, right? Is to, is to bring a bunch of brands that are having a hard time going to market. Maybe they're new, maybe they're from Europe or, or Asia. Essentially, you know, find the big pool of, of US buyers and really global buyers. Um, and then, you know, essentially marry them together on a, on a beautiful platform that's got great user experience. And then, you know, we, we take a cut essentially. So talk about the names of your company, all these random names, they mean something. Can you talk about the process of naming your companies? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny at my very first company, we started naming all of our products. And so like all of these products lived under this brand that wasn't really a brand. Our product names were better than our brand name. <laughs> so uh, kind of a goofball way to go about it. But um, Compo is uh, camping in Spanish or field. And so it's kind of like, you know, camping designs or field designs. Um, and I, I kind of like that, you know, Spanish, English, mm-hmm. uh, hybrid name. Um, so we went with Compo Designs. Traction Bridge is, um, in the beginning, it was called EGN, which is my first son's initials, mm-hmm. sales and marketing. But really, we didn't, that's not much of a brand, mm-hmm. right? And so we, uh, we came up with Traction Bridge because thinking about kind of the bridge between us and Asia, Okay. Initially, oh man, right? yeah, and then like helping companies create traction was okay. Was, was That's a, a good one. Yeah, and then uh, Skew Candy, um, kind of an interesting way I, I came up with the name. I mean, like I really wanted to have a .dot com, and you know anybody that searched for .dot com names, it's kind of hard. GoDaddy now. owns like every yeah. cool name, right? And if it's not GoDaddy, it's some guy in his basement that yeah. has every other cool name. And so it's it's pretty tough to come up with names. Um, and SKU, of course, is like the acronym for uh, stock keeping unit, right? Like, so a, a SKU in a store. Um, and, and I just like, I don't know, I thought, you know, hey, we've got all these cool products and these cool brands. Like our SKUs are like candy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like SKU candy. So that was, that was the inspiration there. 
All right. So next it's time for another bourbon break. All right. So Buffalo Trace or the Knob Creek? Uh, let's go Buffalo Trace. That's uh, I used to fly United Airlines all the time, and that was that was their. Uh, I did not know that their onboard bourbon. Yeah, yeah. If it is still, but sure. So, what's the goal for the Kickstarter? I mean, obviously, you know, like you want to raise a certain amount of money. But is another goal like you know, like brand awareness, like certain number of people to hit the website, or like maybe potential investors. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a monetary goal. Is is you know, I mean, like we basically want to fund the first five hundred units uh, going to production. Um, so really, if I were to throw a number out there, I'd say, um, I mean, I could do three hundred, but I think five hundred is a better place to be. You know, so we're talking. Five sixty thousand dollars, um, so that would be ideal. Um, but that's not really our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny if you ask my wife, she would tell you the goal is two hundred and fifty. Calm down. And I'm like, no, it's two million. Um, I like to aim high. Yeah, people don't realize that when you do a Kickstarter, a crowdfunder, there's like the public goal, which is one amount. Was kind of they actually tell you to keep low, mm-hmm. but then of course there's internal goal like. Like the public goal might be, you know, 25,000, but the real goal is like 2 million, right? Yeah. I mean, I want to be the highest funded tent ever. Yeah. That, that's my goal. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of how I dream and think, mm-hmm. you know, I always think big and it doesn't mean I always accomplish big, mm-hmm. but like, uh, I'm a dreamer. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think beyond that, yeah, definitely brand awareness. I'd love to see the video go viral. Um, I just was in Cancun down in Tulum. A good friend of mine, uh, he was an amazing videographer and, and photographer and, and you saw the video today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the video is pretty epic. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really going to be impactful and people will appreciate it. Um, so brand awareness, certainly. And then really just to, to give Compo the, the traction and momentum that we need to live off of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really plan to sell to retail. I mean, I've got some retail buyer owners. So you plan on being direct to consumer for the, for the whatever, how long the company lasts? I think so. I mean, there's some select retailers that I would certainly work, you know, if REI calls, mm-hmm. I'd probably work with them. Yeah, you definitely got to take their call, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but really even some, some really marquee specialty outdoor retailers that I, that I would work with and, and I would take less margin mm-hmm. because they're, you know, they're the kind of stores that if you're, if you're working with them, people just really perceive your brand to be because they only work with great brands mm-hmm. to be a great brand. Um, and then really kind of launch us into that, that, um, again, that traction and momentum to where we can, we can bring in more products mm-hmm. behind, behind the tent. Yeah. So your vision for the company is pretty much like be the number one tent company in the world. In, in, I think to be the most unique mm-hmm. tent company in the world, certainly, um, you know, that's a, Coleman's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure we're trying to take down Coleman. Uh, but maybe you say you, you, you like to dream big, right? <laughs> I do like to dream big. You know, maybe Coleman would want to uh, invest or buy compost. Okay, mm-hmm. that would be great. You know, and I've already had some some licensing um, call me that want to license the product out. Um, but I, I I really want to take this thing and and run with it for a while. Mm-hmm. We've put a lot of time, and you know, it's kind of my baby now. So, how long does it take to build one tent? What's the process for that factory? Yeah, um, pretty fast or. I mean, I think they're, they could crank out be a day. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're talking about a two person, Mm -hmm. 
small tent with two tent poles. I mean, they're probably cranking thousands, you know, hundreds a day. Um, so you've been entrepreneur for like what, 20 years? Yeah, 20 years, 2001. So it's safe to say that you'll, only way you ever work for someone else, they pay like an ungodly amount of money, right? And probably even not, even probably in the end, she'll probably know, right? I mean, it depends if my wife knows that the, <laughs> the conversation's going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think um, I remember when I was kind of in between and, and it stresses my mom out. Mm-hmm. She's, it's very stressful for me to be an, for her, for me to be an entrepreneur, yeah. right? Because um, she worries. And she just doesn't understand. Like she thinks you'll be homeless tomorrow or something yeah, like that. Yeah, she's worked her whole, she, you know, she worked her whole life. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't, she was never an entrepreneurially, mm-hmm. entrepreneurially minded. Um, and so I remember we were talking and she said, we moved back here to, to Seattle. And she said, honey, why don't you just go work at Boeing? And I was, conversation, and yeah. I was like, do you even know me? Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? I'm unhirable. Like, I can't go get a job. Like, I don't even know. It would be really strange for me. I mean, and, and I appreciate, obviously, people are jobs. That's mm-hmm. how it works, right? Um, and then, I just think I've been, I've been hanging out in the wind for so long. And I think it's not that we're unhirable, but if we work at, if we call it a regular job at Amazon, Boeing, Microsoft, I mean, name the company. First thing we do, we're going to go there first day and we're going to try to figure out how to make things better, right? Right. And you make things better, you step on people's toes. Right. Bureaucracy. And that's where our people, entrepreneurs are hireable because we try to make things better, add value. And you know, that's not the way to do, right? You got to know. Yeah. I I just, I don't know, like the whole thought of, um, and it's interesting in my first business week, we were really flexible with people, you know, I mean, really like there was no time clock because like I couldn't adhere to a time clock. Mm -hmm. And so we were, we were, I think we were kind of on the the cutting edge of culture Mm -hmm. and we didn't understand it to be culture. We just thought like, we're not here at nine. How can we tell you to be here? And it was, it was like really kind of a, a hippie attitude toward running a business, I guess, um, is a good way to put it. But I don't know. It scares me. Having a job scares me, to be honest. Like, I mean, to get up and go to work. But then I also think about how lucky people are that, you know, they don't, they're not night. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thinking about their job and worrying about their job. They cut off at 5 p.m. Cut off at 5, Saturday and Sunday. Binge on Netflix, you doing, know. Doing your thing. You know, you're not, you know, trying to get up early and, grind a little bit in the morning and then grind a little bit at night. And, and um, yeah, so I think it's, um, I don't know, I guess if there's one thing I'm afraid of, it's getting a job. So a lot of people talk, like you said, a lot of people talk about, you know, you know, get a job secure, but I think time and again, again, like, you know, the, the, the dot-com bust of 2001, the great recession 2008, COVID 2020, you know, jobs are not secure, right? I mean, there's at real employment, yeah. they can get rid of you for any reason, any time. So, so how really secure is that versus being an entrepreneur, right? These entrepreneur, if you make or lose money, it's on you, right? Right. But a job, they could, you know, whatever reason, you know, and of course, it's not like illegal, right? You're like, you know, kind of like awful, but, you know, already we're down 10% and we have to get rid of 10% of our people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really no secure job, you know? Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if much of anything is secure anymore, right? No. And so, um, yeah, I, I'd rather put, I'd rather, you know, if to use like a weird, like gambling analogy, black or red, right? I mean, I'd rather put my money on me. Yeah. You know, than then. And what's the good point? So many people do not want to put the money on themselves. Yeah. So many people don't have, you know, confidence in themselves and they really put the money, not putting money on anything, right? They just want to go with the flow. But yeah, you got to put your money on yourself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point. 
So back to the Marines. Let's talk about a Bunker Labs of Veterans Residence for a reason. Sure. For, so got the Bunker Labs Cup, Veterans Residence Cup. That's why I wear my camouflage hat today. <laughs> so we, we're both like, oh, well, I always say city leader. That the right term is actually about city ambassador, right? Right. But I think, you know, I'm kind of stuck. I always say city leader. I'm just, you know, right. go that way. So we both, you know, volunteer for Bunker Labs. So those who don't know, Bunker Labs is a national nonprofit. That's our military veterans. When I say military veterans, like all like spouses, dependents, commuting, mm-hmm. dark companies. Like there's a lot of a lot of nonprofits that help, you know, help us, you know, like with medical stuff, find jobs, PTSD, nothing to help us, you know, start companies. Right. So we're both, both involved with that. I think the stats show, I'm making this up. After World War II, 80% of the veterans started companies, like 5%. Mm-hmm. Like I say, with veterans, we're in this bubble, right? Like I'll use Fort Lewis, for example. When I said Fort Lewis, I never came to Seattle, right? Like I had no reason, right? Well, first of all, I didn't have the time, right? Because Basically, six to six, six every day, you know, being the army stuff, right? Right. So, we, we did a lot of networks and stuff to help people start companies. Talk about the, the, your experience with Bunker Labs so far. Yeah. I mean, I think Bunker Labs is a, is a great organization uh, uh, with a great goal, right? I mean, uh, and you're right. And World War II, uh, the number of veterans that were starting businesses and really kind of building that backbone of America, uh, the numbers were so much higher than they are now. Um, Really, a lot of a lot of military people have this skill set, right? They understand what it's what it's like to give up everything and to you know to basically focus on that task 100 percent of the time. And so it's kind of in our, our DNA, really. But Bunker Labs has been fantastic. You know, I went through a cohort. You know, I had to interview with you, and and I was super excited. I mean, man, I was I was like amazing. I can work at WeWork. Um, I can back into the veteran ecosystem and and the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, find some motivated people to be around. We had just moved back to Seattle. Um, and I was kind of away from the veteran community for a while. I lived in Chicago and <clears throat> really Bunker Labs is, is founded in Chicago, but I didn't know, I didn't know a single veteran when I lived there. You know, all my friends were just friends that I kind of met through uh, like playing softball or, you know, being out and about that sort of thing. And so I just didn't really have any veteran friends and I, I was missing kind of that brotherhood and, mm. um, so when I learned about Bunker Labs and then, you know, applying to get in and, and um, it was a great experience. Of course, it was in person then, you know, we were, we were coming into WeWork every day or, or every other day or whatever. And we would meet once a week in person. Um, definitely has changed now. I mean, I think the organization has done a great job uh, getting it up to speed virtually. Um, but of course, here we are at, at WeWork and, you know, this is, you know, I, I appreciate like the the collaboration and the connection mm-hmm. and, and being able to bounce ideas off of you. And um, and I love the idea of helping uh, veterans of, of whether it's a veteran or a spouse of a veteran, um, you know, and, and kind of be that safe place. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've talked, you know, I've had some pretty honest conversations with people that I a week about their life and, and their experience in the military or as an entrepreneur or, a, or an aspiring entrepreneur. And so. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so now you're a seedling leader, you have mentor veterans now and talk about this challenge. I say this all the time, like, you know, for those new like tech stars or YC Combinator is, it's like an incubator accelerator where you call be in it, but it's pretty much the same thing. Like 10 companies go, they're tech startups, SaaS, they're all the same process. They got to you know, develop MVP, product market fit, find investors. So every time it's the same process with us mm-hmm. at Bunko Labs is like, it's not the same, right? We've had like marijuana apps, nonprofits, um, Construction companies, Thus. hot sauce. Yeah, we've had like um, you know, one guy who's like, man, I think I want to start a, a brewery, but I really, I'm not sure. So idea phase, 
Another person came in, he had already raised like $8 million for a company like did taxes for cryptocurrency companies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So how have you done the channels like trying to mentor all these companies like from like just bam, all over the place, right? How have you done dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of look at all the people as in the companies as like a, an opportunity for me to learn as well. And so I, I really want to take the personal approach. You know, I mean, I'm happy to share my experiences with them. I'm happy to um, answer questions if I can for them. Um, I don't, I don't know that it really matters what your business is and what it does. I think it's just more like, what are the challenges, right? And I think that's what people kind of want to talk about. It's like, hey, have you tried this before? Did it work for you? You know, it's kind of like the online forums. There's forums mm-hmm. for everything, obviously. But um, yeah, to me, it's it's that personal connection and and just really kind of like being available. Uh, yeah, teaching them stuff like something, something like when I, I, I'm trying to like the stuff I know, know like like three years ago. Tell me Google Analytics. What the hell is Google Analytics, right? What's that? Or, no, just the same the different tools that you try to teach people, you know? Sure. Well, and, and um, you know, like you and I talk a lot about pitching, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and the only reason I have any pitching experience is from FI, mm-hmm. right? And you've pitched a lot. So like challenging these, these you know, entrepreneurs to... Put themselves to, out there. To stand up there and show us your baby. <laughs> Put yourself out there and take those slings yeah. and arrows from people. That's right. Yeah. And, and really give them that, that positive... Or positive feedback and, and constructive criticism, right? And to help them. I mean, and that's what it's all about, right? It's like any any time that I we can help a veteran um, in need of anything, I think is is a good thing. And not to say there's not help for veterans. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of organizations out there, but in this entrepreneurial world, um, maybe you know you do a great job of of connecting and and. Uh, uh, connecting people into your network, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody needs something. You're like, oh, I know somebody that can help you with that. And I, I think that's really cool, you know? And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. So entrepreneur, what are what some kind of tools you use? Like read the productivity tool, time management tools. What do you rely on as far as tools? Yeah. So one of my favorites is, is live plan. Um, and it's a uh, business plan software. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's amazing. Like in my first business, we didn't, we really didn't have a business plan for years and years and years. And then it was like, oh, the painful, you know, this is like almost like rotary phone era. It feels like um, writing your business plan on paper, right? And it's like um, Live Plan, it's by Palo Alto Software. It's one of my favorites. I, I definitely recommend that for anybody that's um, looking to start a business. You know, you have to have, you got to put some certain things on paper or on the computer. Love that. Um, it's funny, like I, I used to be totally opposed to all things Google for whatever reason. I just didn't know it, right? It's like, I mean, I barely learned Excel and now there's this new Google thing out there. And now I love Google, right? I love all things Google. Oh, yeah, Google. Oh, yeah, I love Google. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so much easier for me to use. And, and uh, so that's obvious. That's an obvious one. Um, what else? I think uh, Asana. Right from oh yeah, project, I love Asana. Project management. I think that's, Asana. that's a great place to to create with your team. Um, you know, and I'll, but I'll say this too. Like, I'm a firm believer that that when we start working with software programs, whether it's like ACT, the CRM program, mm-hmm. or Salesforce, or something like that, earn just enough to get the contact in there mm-hmm. and record our our you know conversations. Like one percent of the software, right? Yeah, it's like 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 even the like, iPhone, like no one uses iPhone for capability, right? Any 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 tech, right? You know, yeah. probably use like one percent, you know. Yeah. 
But we all need the new iPhone 12. Of course. Yeah. Can't live without it. Yeah. Maybe even the iPhone 12 Pro yeah. Super. Like, know, like me. Yeah. The oversized beast. Um, you know, it's like a MacBook, right? I know enough. I can, I can use it, mm-hmm. but I don't know all of the fancy, you know, shortcuts and no. all the really cool ways to use it. But um, yeah, I, I think those are probably some of my favorites. Um, I've learned to use Canva. Yeah. I'm you know, now I'm like this you. aspiring designer. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just like trying to design cool stuff and, and uh, pretty funny though. My wife's like, give me the computer. You know, it's just like, go sit down. Okay. So talk about this. Like, both of us are not under 25, right? Talk about, you know, at our age, still being competitive, you know, still having focus and competing with like, you no know, quote unquote, the stereotypical founder, right? Man, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away at like some of the, the talent, right? That's out there. And it, it's like the young people these days are learning this stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're literally being taught. And so what a huge advantage they have. I remember reading a few years back, there hadn't been more than a handful of, of people that had become billionaires over the age of 40. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, I mean, I had kids, my first children when I was 42, first child. And so now I understand why <laughs> it's like kids, like it, kid, it takes a lot of your time. Right. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Like there's nothing better in the world, but like, it, it's all about like how much time do you have to devote? Right. And these young kids collaborate, they learn this stuff. Um, What's the word intuitive? It's intuitive to them. Yeah, it is. Right. It is. And it's, it's, um, they have so many friends around them that are doing great things. But I mean, I think for us, it's, um, I don't feel my age, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I feel I so, act, I still focus on energy right now. I don't act my age. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever will. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's about making sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember there was a couple year period in my life where I was like, man, if I could just play this much golf the rest of my life, I, I'm, I'm retired. And now I'm not, I don't play golf at all. Just like full on, like yeah, it, I mean, full court press. You know, I, it was just so nice. I went fishing, golfing, and I actually enjoy those things, right? But like do you fish and golf or do whatever and work your business, right? You can't, you know, there's a cost to everything, right? Right. Well, and it's pretty annoying to be on the golf course and working the whole time. And your friends are like, are you, are you actually going to talk to us at all? And you're like, oh, sorry, I'm just on my phone over here doing my thing. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I've, I feel hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm still, uh, I still got time. So do you see yourself every quote, every kind of quote, retiring? Are you going to like, you know, start business and work until like, what's the saying that you until your 10 toes up? Uh, Probably the latter. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm the same. I like working. I I mean, and I, it's funny. I say that, I mean, I don't know that I I like working, but I like creative. Mm -hmm. I like working towards something and on something. Yeah. Um, In the same way. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. And and there's also that fear of, right. Like remember back in the day when people would retire at 55 or 60, and then they die at 58. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I think if you keep your body and your mind active, um, I'm missing the biggest example, man. What's that guy's name? The investor from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, right? He, he like, and he, he's in his 80s, right? He goes to work 10 hours a day. I he's he vibrant. Might, might be. I mean, he's probably, you know, related to Dracula or something, you know? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, these people are like, you know, and like there's, um, so, so I'm big on social media. I have a TikTok account. Now, we were on this, like a trash from TikTok. The guy following there, he's like, he's, he's at least 80 years old. He's a psychiatrist, right? 80 years old, psychiatrist, he's on TikTok, right? Wow. Like, are you kidding me, right? You're yeah. 80 years old on TikTok? Every day he does like, like a little dance and gives advice in English and Spanish by a psychiatrist. Like, no, take care of you better, right? Good for him, yeah. So yeah, you think you got to do stuff like that, you know? I think so. I mean, uh, what else are you going to do? 
We can't wait to die, right? So we got some uh, comments on Facebook. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. Tiffany Riaz Valera. Put my money on me, boom. Okay. Cool. Uh, Michael Scott. Good stuff, Mr. Neff. All right. And Tiffany again, 2060, what? I know some boomers that will rock that tent. If that tent <laughs> is a rocking, don't come a knocking. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love Tiffany. She's great. And then Matt, you know, talking about the, the, the Basil Hayden and some good stuff. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the comments. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't realize that people were actually watching this. See, that's that's like how how tech savvy I am. Uh, but that's funny. If the nets are rocking, don't come a knocking. Uh, Tiffany's our good friend from Houston. Uh, Michael Scott owns an amazing uh, uh, slippers in Hawaii. Eighty mm-hmm. two year old business. Um, I'm really talking about yeah, that his business. Grandfather started it, and they're based in in Hawaii. They're amazing. It's. Uh, if anybody's looking for uh, sandals slash slippers, and I'm not supposed to say this, but flip flops, scotthawaii.com. That's you. That's the I talk to. That's great. So here's a question I ask, I ask everyone on here that comes on. You know, an entrepreneur everyone says, you know, keep grinding, keep going, don't give up. You know, um, don't be the person who has like you know um, mining diamonds. You stop before you hit the diamonds. You know, keep it going. But is there a time when someone should stop? I don't, I'm not talking about just not pivot, but like just stop, like, you know, like when should someone stop or someone keep on going regardless? Tough question. Um, I mean, I think it's a financial, a family and a fire, right? Mm -hmm. Three F's, right? Like if you don't, if the money's not there, tough to keep Mm -hmm. going. Um, There's always ways, of course, Mm -hmm. but um, if your family's in in a bad position because of, of your, entrepreneurial dream, then family first. Uh, and, and I think probably fire, you know, being last. It's like, you don't have the drive and, and you know, the tenacity to get up and, and go after it. Um, you know, is, is, it, is it you or is it the product or the brand, right? And so um, I, I would say don't ever give up, really. You know, I mean, sometimes you can, you can park it. Um, you know, you can reinvent it. You can mm-hmm. pivot. You can do a lot of different things to, um, to turn it around. But I ask for help. You know, get it. That's get, a good get, get one. In, get into a, a get into the ecosystem. You know, and even if it's online, right? There's so much out there. Obviously, there's you know, if you're a veteran or, or a veteran family member, there's Bunker Labs. There's like endless resources. Um, if you're if you're not, there's still those resources, and I think. Don't be afraid to, to ask for help. That's a good point. Like people want to help you, right? But you have to ask, you know, right. Like I'm pretty sure like in my experience, like 90% of the people I asked for help, they, they said, yes. Other 10, and then 9% say, well, I can't help you now. Follow up with me. And 1% like course, there's always been like, you know, the, the X percent with me, asshole, jackasses, right? Sure. You just got to like, know, dust them off and, you know, maybe had a bad day that day or they're busy, you know, so you yep. said you can't take a person like you said. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you're, if you're, an entrepreneur and you're talking to another entrepreneur, I mean, it's almost like written creed, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to give back. Mm-hmm. You need to like, you need to be there at least to, to listen. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, that being said, I think there's those, there's plenty of entrepreneurs that ask for help. You make an appointment <laughs> with them. They blow you off. You give them any kind of advice. They tell you you're wrong. I, I think those are the people that I would like, I would give limited bandwidth too that, yeah. that don't even want to like hear that I mean you ask me for feedback mm-hmm. and then you tell me I'm wrong and like okay cool <laughs> <laughs> never mind 
So you're doing the Kickstarter um, kickoff May 13th. Are you doing like any kind of big social media push? Any like how, how like May trial, how are you going to prep for May 13th? How's that going to work? Yeah, sure. Collecting emails, um, social media. Uh, other, we've got the video. We'll break that down into, into a little 10 and 15 mm-hmm. second uh, snippets, mm-hmm. right? And so promoting that. Um, hopefully people like it. They want to mm-hmm. share it. We'll start giving free stuff away. Um, stickers, hats, shirts, uh, the, the reasonable bags I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to entice people to tell their friends and and um, and sign up and give us feedback. I mean, that's really that's really kind of like the big way. Obviously, spending money, uh, yeah, lots of paid ads. Got to make spend money, make money. Yeah, I mean, been, but Facebook ads are relatively still kind of cheap. You know, they're not that expensive. Sure, sure. I mean, we've been fairly conservative in, mm-hmm. with that. I mean, we think we've got a pretty good base. We won't stop though. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're going to keep spending. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to the video. Mm-hmm. Like, how good it, how good does it look? Yeah, are, are yeah. You, I, I think the stat, I make this up. The stats show, like, you know, if you have a video, you're gonna raise like fifty seven percent more money than non video, right? Sure. From the video, I mean, if you if you do if you out there, you think about doing a crowdfunding Kickstarter, you have to do a high quality video. You have yeah. to pay. I mean, hopefully, you have someone who can like, do it for free for you because I like, actually do a for a photographer or the case be. But if not, you have to invest some money. You have to pay the money yeah. for, for a video. Mine wasn't free. Even though my friend did it, it wasn't free. Yeah, mine, mine was free. At least mine was for free for right now. I'm yeah. paying later on. But yeah, you, I mean, if you do a Kickstarter, you have to do a video. I mean, high quality. It can't be like... For sure. You can't do it on iPhone, right? No. You got to do high quality video. Yeah, and take after take after take. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you this too. I mean, for all the, the photogs and videographers out there, I, I never really realized work it is it's a lot of work. until I went and I was like, I was basically the production assistant on this photo shoot. And like my buddy, uh, his favorite word is do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And yeah. I mean, I got sunburned super uh, sunburned. Yeah. I did my view at least 20, 26, right? Yeah. Okay. You're talking and you're like, flubber your words, blah, 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 like shit, I got to yeah. do it again, you know, or everything's perfect. And they, there's something that happens, right? Yeah. We were doing the voiceover. I mean, I, I've never really thought like, would be a voice a voiceover voice mm-hmm. and he's like no man you have a great voice it's yeah, all yeah. good let's do it and i remember like on take five cracking up just losing my shit i did a couple times just, too, yeah. like cracking up yeah you're just laughing like, and, Why am I laughing and he was laughing at me because he's like you've never you know because i've never done this before and he's like dude this is this is normal you're like you're losing it let's go outside for a minute right and so yeah let's take a break and yeah fortunately we're in mexico so we went to the beach yeah um but yeah, it was it was a great experience. I a lot of respect and uh I learned a lot. So so talk so that's a good follow up point. As an entrepreneur, talk about the importance of like putting yourself out there, right? Like being comfortable with being in front of a crowd. Like like we'll say like 34 years ago, no one really knew who the CEO of like IBM was or CEO of whatever mm-hmm. the company was, and name the company right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying like you have to be everyone has to be like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, or like Elon Musk. But the days of like being the unknown CEO are long gone, right? Right. I mean Whatever size company you have, startup, you know, small business, you have to get out on social media and say, I'm Jason Cabinets, this is my company, right? Yep. Talk about how you deal with that and your approach to that. I mean, I just I follow you. <laughs> you're, you're amazing. Uh you you definitely get it done. Uh, you know, I think it kind of goes back to right, learning to pitch. I mean, I, I I don't have a tremendous amount of public speaking experience. And so, you know, getting up in front of a room of people and just like, you know, freaking out basically. And and being told by the mentors, like quit freaking out. Right. And, and, um, 
but you have to put yourself out there. I mean, you really do like, uh, it, you know, it's kind of shameless pr- self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if, if not he, then who exactly, you know, and, and you said it earlier when we were talking, um, you have to, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and that's, uh, do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And with pitching, here's a good point. Like a, like a business advice for everyone. Like to me, pitching is like doing a resume, right? Like if you send a resume to 25 people, you get 25 different opinions. Mm-hmm. If you pitch in front of 25 different people, you get 20 different opinions, right? Some good, some bad. For example, like, um, so I was in a Patriot bootcamp. I'm part of Patriot bootcamp. It's like a, a organization for, for veteran, veteran entrepreneurs. Somehow I don't know how, but I, I got picked as like one of the top eight companies there. So I went to the thing called Patriot bootcamp. Like, hey, Most of Google for startups, final track, like big deal, pitching, right? We had to do this big pitch, like three minute pitch. Everyone loved it, right? Everyone praised me, man. It's a, that's a great pitch. I mean, it wasn't for me, nothing. It's like experience, like, like exposure to VCs. Great pitch, whatever, man. This is great, right? A month later, I was on t- I'm on TV show. It's called David Mitchell's Two Minute Pitch. So David Mitchell, one of my business, uh, my board advisors, has a new show called Two Minute Pitch. It's going to show in June, but we recorded last month, right? And it's, it's two minutes and three minutes. I did exact, pretty much the same exact pitch, same energy, same. I even like, I record, so I, I look at both, like, man, these are about the same, but Peter Bootcamp, praise, praise, praise. The um, David Mitchell, I got fucking slammed. I mean, they didn't say that, but they pretty much said this is the fucking worst pitch I've ever seen in fucking life, right? <laughs> I, mean, I got fucking slammed, right? <laughs> so there's four people, um, two of them like blasted me, right? This is hard. They didn't say this hard, but they pretty much like, you, you didn't bring the engine, that's like that. One person like, no, this is, I, I got your idea. I know what you're doing. I'm good with it. Of course, David was kind of, you know, kind of neutral, right? I got fucking blasted, right? So it was like, you know, who, who, like, same pitches, like, am I great or am I fucking fucked up, right? So I think you got to keep that in mind when you're doing the, doing these pitches or whatever the case may be. And of course, like TV, they probably do for drama stuff right there. But even though I got a slam, it's going to be on Bloomberg TV, Amazon Prime Video, and who knows who's going to say it, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, who's going to say it, right? Right. I mean, just because these two people said it was horrible or like not enough energy, you know, someone has to be pitching for you. Someone might see it and like, oh man, this is a great idea. Who's like, Hundred thousand dollars, right? I've seen bad reviews for the movie Top Gun. Okay, those so, people. So they, to go they, to, they, now, they, that person needs to go to hell. They, they, they need to go to hell. <laughs> go to hell. hell. And, and and I mean, I think that's like, though is you know, it's it's. There's so many different points of view. Yeah, you know, some somebody might be judging you on you know your your awesome beard mm-hmm. versus and that somebody's person judging you on like the the character of your idea yeah. right? like the the foundation of it. and that person could be like this tv i want to make myself look good you know right on my own company right you just know but you gotta you know and another thing too like people always say like they don't take it personal i call bullshit on that right right yeah this is my this is your baby your company how can you not take it personal right yeah you just told me my idea sucks yeah but i won't take it personal no, take it personal. yeah yeah you, I mean, you know, it's funny. I like, I think for me, my personality is, is remembering that um, I don't necessarily have to be aggressive back toward that person. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been like that great person in the corner, you Mm -hmm. know, like I don't get, I don't like getting put in the corner. And so um, just remembering that it is what it is and you know, you don't get to come out swinging. You just have to take it. Hey, thank you. And yeah. Thank you. May have another. Yeah. Thank you for your feedback and your advice. Yeah. And find someone else that that's pitch worthy, I think is, is important. But the point is you got to put yourself out there. Even if you get negative criticism, put yourself out there. And, and you know, you got to be, to me, you got to be a social media, right? You got to, you know, whatever the case may be, 
like, I'm not saying like be Gary Vaynerchuk, he's like a different level, but like, right. you got to put yourself out there, right? You got to, you know, yeah. be open to criticism and open to new ideas. Yeah. Well, that's a warning to my following, my friends <laughs> are putting myself out there a little bit more. So get ready. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, you know, I, it's funny. Like I've always kind of walked that fine line. Like I almost want everything to speak for itself, mm -hmm. but you're right. I mean, you do, you have to, yeah. you have to put yourself out there and you have to, uh, to work hard and you have to be a little shameless um, and you have to be ready for what comes back at you. Cause it's not, it's, it's, but it's not always unicorns, unicorns, and, unicorns and, and roses. Unicorns, roses, and rainbows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You gotta be able to deal with criticism too. And like, you know, and like now Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, he always say, you know, more content, more content, you know, are you on the 10 times beyond the 11 times? Right. And then like some people say like, you're on there too much, but like, like, like Gary Vaynerchuk says, I'm a big believer. Right. If you put something like, something on LinkedIn, only on LinkedIn once a day, who's going to see it? Right. No one. Right. There's so much stuff on LinkedIn. I mean, like one, if you put something once a day on even social media platform, see it, you got to over and date it. Right. And if, and if someone says like, man, Jason, you on, you on here too much. Okay. Well, you know, unfollow me, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, I actually took a class for, uh, for LinkedIn because I was, I was, and, and I still haven't really like mastered this. I'm not very active on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, it was basically I've, the art of like posting on LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I was was like, well, what do I even say? Was, does anybody care what I have to say? Yeah, I have a love hate relationship with LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If I owned a bunch of LinkedIn stock, I'd love it more. Probably so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn, I don't know. But LinkedIn, it's a, before you'd be able to like used to be able to like send all kind of invites on LinkedIn, right? Unlimited. Now you can only send like hundred invites per week on LinkedIn. Different people, right? Of course, it's so spam. You know, I understand that, right? But it has to be a better way to protect people from spam. You know? Yeah. And I think spam means different things to different people, right? Like when I was doing my crowdfunder, I was sending like individuals like sales never get messages. This person said, well, I didn't give permission to send this to me or this spam. Like, dude, I sent you one message. And like we never communicated before in our life. I sent one message. How is this spam, right? Uh, I don't know. But then like you point to like you, someone sees a connection. You're like, man, I don't know. I don't know this person. I'll connect anyway. And then instantly a 10,000 word, double single space, all caps message, you know, and you, and you, of course, you're not going to read it because you, you know, I'm not interested in, or like the biggest one, like, you know, I see it all the time. I, I can do your software development for this commodity. Sure. Hey, thanks for offering. We have an internal team. I'm, I know you have an internal team, but I'm, but I'm sure a lot of people are better. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, to me, I mean, I, I, being like kind of an old school salesperson, just, I don't get the idea that you can sell. On LinkedIn, yeah, a lot of people you know do I mean? it though, I, and then I'm and I'm probably wrong, right? Yeah, a lot of people I'm do sure it. you know it's kind of like SMS messaging, mm -hmm. right? Like that to me is kind of strange, but then when you look at the the engagement and the conversion numbers there, yeah, versus, SMS is a hot thing right email, now. It's so much better, but like again, there's there's these different sort of levels of of uh, demographic, right? Like I mean, it's it's an age thing, you know, and I think you just have to get comfortable, you know, if if SMS marketing works. We should all be SMS marketing. So speaking of that, have you heard of this company called, uh, I think it's called Community. They're like a text-based messaging app. I haven't. They just raised $2 billion from the Salesforce Venture Capital Fund. $2 billion for text-based wow. messaging. Wow. Well, I'm going to start SMS marketing. <laughs> that's fucking crazy, ain't it? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it is. So that's what we have is now Creek. Okay, a classic. Yep. Yeah. And after this, we're going to we're gonna have to judge these. Okay. Well, I mean, I know, I know which one's winning right now. I mean, unless this is like Knob Creek. Platinum Plus. Platinum Plus, exactly. 
I'll create a good basic bourbon. Remember back in the day when uh, we saw the best bourbon? Well, me, I can't speak for you. You just think the best bourbon was Jack Daniels? No, but I do like the, that Eric Church song. Mm-hmm. Jack Daniels kicked my ass last night. I like that song, but I've, I've never been a fan. Like, no. Anything, that, anything brown that you mix brown with. That's like, true. Yeah. So here's a crazy story. So I used to do a lot of deep sea, deep sea fishing out of Westport, uh, Washington. One time, me and my son, a couple of friends went. And in Westport, the boat leaves at six in the morning, but you had to be there five in the morning. Right? So we leave from DuPont at three, get there at five. The boat leaves at six. These two guys on there, they're at least in the 60s. Well, I, I'll be generous in the 60s, right? You can, you can tell they spend like their life on the boat, right? They had this, this they had a cooler about probably big as this table. So it's six in the morning, about, it takes like two hours to get to work fishing, right? right? But so six to eight, but seven, by right, hour out, seven in the morning, the one guy says, hey, do you think we've waited, waited long enough to start? It's up to me, you would have started, you know, on the drive up here. <laughs> and so they pull out, I swear to God, a bottle twice as size of wild turkey and a case of Schaefer Light. Oh, nice. That shit was gone in an hour. And they were not phased. Then what? They caught all the fish. <laughs> like they caught 90% of the fish. <laughs> and, you know, we divided the rest. Like they caught all the fish, right? Yeah, right. And but that's, that's the matter of wild turkey at seven in the morning. I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget that. And that Schaefer Light, brutal. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like drinking Natty Light. <sighs> Yeah, that's bad. That's but bad. It was like, I think it's bad for you. They took it like champs. Seasoned veterans. Exactly. Seasoned yeah. veterans. Exactly. So, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, what's next? What is next? What's next? Well, we, uh, we are about to embark on an amazing adventure. My mom always used to say I had itchy feet. And uh, not because they were dirty or really, in fact, itchy, but because like I couldn't stay put very long. Uh, and so we actually put our house on the market last Wednesday. Uh, it went under contract yesterday. And June 18th, we are moving to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Oh, wow. Yeah. So why that place? Well, so my wife uh, grew up in Guadalajara. Okay. I uh, was born in Guadalajara. And, uh, so kind of go back, going back home for a little yeah, bit. And her folks are in Puerto Vallarta. And so I think if, if COVID's taught us anything, it's that, um, you know, we, no longer, we don't have to be Seattle or uh, New York mm-hmm. or, or really, you can work from anywhere in the world, especially mm-hmm. doing what we do. And so Seattle... You know, I, I grew up here. However, comma. The, however, comma. The weather didn't bother me growing up. And now I'm like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's when it's, when it's sunny here, it's, I don't know that there's any place. That's yeah. Cool. When it's beautiful here, like, like it, for me, the only place more beautiful here than a, is uh, Salzburg, Austria. Wow. Salzburg, Austria is like, is like so nice there, right? Yeah. So the, when this place is nice, it is beyond nice. Oh, it shines. It's amazing. Um, but I'm like, you like this last year, that shit kicked my ass. I'm looking for some, some warm weather. Um, my in-laws are there and, you know, the kids get to spend time with their grandparents yeah, you exactly. know? and they get to experience the culture. Um, the schools are, are bilingual, trilingual. So they're going to get, you know, a cool experience to live abroad. Um, any and, concerns and about, while they're young, you know, it's, any concern it's, about having your kids, raise your kids in a different country? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, I think it's, it's going to just be really a, a cool experience for them. Um, but do your kids already speak Spanish? Not so much, a little, okay. a little, um, but they're really excited about it. I mean, you know, I mean, they're 
four and six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, COVID detached them from the few friends that yeah. they were able to make in the short amount of yeah, time. I, I think here. people underestimate or overestimate the impact this had on kids, like not going to school, not being friends. Like, for sure. Can you imagine, like, growing up, if someone said, like, you were sixth grade, someone said, do you miss school? No, I don't miss school. But now kids are saying, I miss school. Yeah. I mean, and you never imagine people saying, I miss school. Yeah. But, I mean, we miss school for them. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're sick of us. We're like, man, we'd really love for you to be back in school. And, and, and certainly these formidable, young years, right? I mean, they learn so quickly. I mean, it's yeah. amazing to watch them grow. I'm just sponges. And learn. And so I think, you know, they'll pick up Spanish, no problem. Um, yeah, so we're excited. I mean, that's, that's, uh, you have Wi-Fi, as long as we have Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. we can, we can do what we need to do in an airport nearby. And that's, we've got those things. We've got the beach. Um, Always a plus. We're excited. Yeah. And, a, and a real beach, not the coast, not the Pacific coast, right? A real beach. Proper beach. Yeah. Big, beautiful beach. And so we, we have a, a real affinity for it. You know, we got married in, in Sailita, which is just north of Puerto Vallarta. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're fired up. That's, that's society, what's next, man. I think, personally. And then, of course, professionally, we'll bring it with us. Like you said, uh, most entrepreneurial companies, you can run it from anywhere, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think half the, the young hotshots that are, that are running tech companies around the world or you know, Bali, Bali or, you know, Thailand or exactly some crazy place, yeah. you know, or the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah. I'm just trying to be like them. So talk about this, you know, uh, let's go back to work and remote work. So, you know, back before pre COVID, everyone was like, you know, let's do remote work, you know, and people are like, we're doing remote work now. But to me, this is not what remote work is, right? Cause now people like, you know, like, you know, teaching kids, you know, babysitting, taking, you know, the parents to whatever. To me, remote work was like, wake up in the morning, having breakfast, go to the gym and come back to office space. And like just only you working, but we're doing so much other stuff, right? Yeah. Can you talk about that some, how that is affecting people? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, how it affects other people. I'm not really sure. I mean, you're right. I, I mean, the old days of remote work were maybe you were lucky to work from home. You went to a co-working space. Um, I mean, honestly, when we lost, we work, I was like, oh my gosh. I'm at home. My wife's at home. Yeah, I was at your house one time. I was like, you, you're working. Your wife's working. It was like, she's up. I was in the closet working. Your wife had a meeting. And then there was like a teacher conference. And the other son was like, hey, how about me? You know, it was like yeah. all this chaos, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that was the, the biggest challenge for us and probably for most parents are, that are out there. I mean, it's, you know, you want your kids to have like a balanced life. You know, we're not, we're not a big TV, um, tech, like iPad video mm-hmm. game family. And so it was, it was really like fighting that urge. You know, if you give a kid an iPad, that's a babysitter. Yeah. Right? But we just, we really didn't, we don't like the effect that it has on them. Mm-hmm. And so we always kind of fought that, but then that means, you know, we have to give more. Mm-hmm. Right. And it means we can't work as much because we want to, you know, we need to keep them entertained and keep them busy. Um, I think that was our biggest challenge. You know, I was telling my wife, I'm like, we have a fire pit in our backyard and uh, I think this, this fire pit saved me. You know, like I burned more wood during COVID, like on the ground in the mm-hmm. winter, I'd go out there and like have a fire and, and the kids would come out and we'd do s'mores, you know, and I think that was, um, it was a, a really good kind of release for me. And my wife's like, Hey, it's too, I'm not, it's, it's cold. I'm not coming yeah. out for a s'more yeah. and I'm going back in. Yeah. And for me, it would just be like, kind of matter of fact, make the s'more and bring it inside of me. <laughs> exactly. Breathing the fresh air and just, it was kind of an outlet, you know? And, and so I'm, I dealt with it really. So, and, and, and our kids too. I mean, so as an entrepreneur, what's something you had, you've had to give up, right? Cause something like you would like to do, 
But you, you know, man, I wish I could do this. But I, just, I can't, I can't justify spending time on it that you wish you could do. Like, suppose, I mean, I got one, but I shouldn't talk about it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, well, probably, you know, news outlets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the world's pretty toxic right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't care you lean and there's a lot of bad information and negative information out there. And so I think kind of staying away from that as mm-hmm. much as I can does me good. Um, you know, I kind of leaned into the thing is it was maybe less about giving up and more mm-hmm. about leaning into the things that, that like do me good. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I love to juice, mm-hmm. you know, like juicing fresh fruit and things yeah. like that. So I love that. That makes me, it's been a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, I started uh, looking at the Headspace app every day, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to find a little bit of like, it's like a meditation app. It is. Yeah. And, and I always thought like, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could meditate? And I, I my brain is just like, Never, never starts off. Right. But the headspace, it's, it's kind of a short little, little sprint and mm-hmm. that's a nice getaway. I think going to the gym. Yeah. Um, and then just like, you know, if there was a, a silver lining for COVID, I mean, it would be like for all the parents that, that have faced the fact that they're with their children, like just leaning in on it, you know, like I really know my four and six year old little boys really well. And, uh, and then of course we weren't going to, I had a dog for a long time and then we adopt, we adopted a dog during COVID, which mm-hmm. everybody in the world did. And, you know, we have a love hate relationship. You know, he thinks I'm his mom and dad. Yeah. Your dog is definitely unique. Yeah, he's your a dog wild. has a unique personality. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He's a wild you, dog. Your dog is human. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I think it was kind of leaning in on those things as opposed to like. So, Talk about the points of taking yourself as an entrepreneur. The points of what? The points of taking care of yourself as an entrepreneur, like going to the gym, doing meditation. Like, I mean, yeah, I it, mean, yeah, sorry to cut you off. The, but I mean, the time is already limited and you have to find time to do it. But so many entrepreneurs like grind, grind, grind. And next thing you know, they're five, seven, 300 pounds or like, you know, this like they're broken mentally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you, no matter what, I mean, you have to find that balance. Um, have to, you have to take care of yourself. Right. I mean, and, and, uh, for me, it's the gym, um, spending time with the family, uh, eating right. And yeah, I mean, I COVID or no COVID, I mean, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. And so I think it's, it's kind of those core things for me really. So COVID of course is a bad thing. You know, a lot of people died, a lot of business went out of business, of course, you know, how has COVID affected your three business, right? Positive, negative, you just, you just dealt with it. You overcame it. How has that worked for you? Yeah, really. I mean, only one business has been running during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we've grown, you know, I mean, I, I think we've, we're in the online space to, to a big degree and social media as well. And so um, we've been really fortunate in that, in that regard. Um, you know, I, I have friends that own restaurants and they just feel terribly for them. Right. It's like, Basically, they were they it's were ordered to close the doors and, them. and uh, lock. Um, and, and with the restaurants, off as a subject, like I mean, they were treated so unfairly, right? Like, of course, California is a different thing they're doing there. Mm-hmm. I remember they had a story like, a couple of weeks ago where this lady she had a restaurant like 20, 30 years, right? And basically, she finally got a business, right? Because no, no, no restaurants, ten percent, whatever case be. The day she shut down because she couldn't be open across the street, this movie theater in Hollywood had this big gala. Oh, right. Food, whatever. Like, are you kidding me right now? Right. 
Like, how yeah, that's tough. That? I that, mean, that's bullshit. I, <laughs> a pretty pretty high level of it, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there. I mean, I try not to wade too deep into the into the pool. Um, I think there's a lot of weirdness surrounding this whole thing. I, you know, I just, um, you know, I've been to China so many times. I feel like I've got everything that thrown at me. You know, I, I got chicken pox in my forties. I, I, mean, I mean, you survived, you survived China. I, I had typhoid fever. Uh, I've, you know, you know, been to Mexico and been sick. I mean, I, and I don't know, I, I don't, I don't want COVID by any means. I'm going to, I don't know what it, obviously um i don't know if i've had it or haven't had it i hope it goes away i hope we all get to go back to you know not wearing masks and and uh yeah this going, were, to, going to festivals and concerts and things like that just where my negativity comes out right like i just think as society you know how we, we accept that you know each year x percent die from cancer x amount die from flu x amount die from car accidents I just think as a society, we're going to have to accept that X amount of us are going to die from COVID every year, right? Yeah. Because COVID is not going away. Yeah. It was like what, eight strains now, six strains, you I know? Mean, it's a virus, right? Viruses don't. I don't think viruses go away. I, right? I think it's probably here to stay, but I don't know. I, I, I wish everybody well that everybody well, just in general, right? I mean, those people that have gotten and passed away, it's super sad. And, and, um, I hope, uh, hope they figure it out soon. Yeah. I'm hopefully people way smarter than us are figuring this stuff out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So next, next question I have for you. We got to wrap this up pretty soon. Moving to Mexico. How's So if it doesn't affect your business any that much. How is it going to be like Mexico trying to have a good relationship? How's that going to affect the China thing? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll still bring, I mean, I'll, I'll basically, we live there. Um, you still come to the States to do business and we stuff? We operate or? from there. I mean, in terms of like inventory for mm-hmm. Compo, it'll, it'll live in America. Okay. For sure. Just because Mexico is like the infrastructure for uh, that kind of shipping. It's just not really there yet. Is there any advantage for like, are you going to move your headquarters like on paper from Seattle to Mexico? Is there any no. advantage of that? No, we'll leave it. Uh, Compo is actually a Texas company because we were in Good Houston. move. Good yeah, move. We were in Good Houston. move. Houston. Good move. Yeah. We were in Houston for a while, and so okay. we, we started the company there. And so we'll keep it there. Um, Traction Bridge and Skew Candy are Washington companies, and, and we'll leave them here. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Skew Candy is a Delaware corporation. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, nothing about that will change. Okay. Um, we maintain all of our banking here in the States mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, set up a business address and all that sort of stuff. So obviously, you know, your wife, your wife's in Mexico, you've been in Mexico several times before. I think you just came for vacation there. Yep. Um, let me ask this. So is it advanced to doing, being in Mexico doing business? Other than the, the beautiful beach yeah. and sunshine yeah. and all that? No, I mean, I, I don't know that there's an advantage. Okay. I mean, I think um, like if you're employed by a, an American company mm-hmm. and you live in, you live abroad, mm-hmm. you get X number of dollars tax free. Okay. Um, so that's potentially one thing, but you know, you, I mean, even if you buy a property down there mm-hmm. and you, you rent it out, you still have to pay taxes to good old uncle Sam. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's two countries in the world, the, the U S and the UK. What? And so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No matter, no matter where you go, unless you give up your citizenship, which of course I'm not going to. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 
Talk so if you own an Airbnb in Mexico, you still have to pay taxes on that earned income in America. Speechless right now. That's true. It's a good thing you know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have any investment properties there, but uh, if we did, we understand the the tax implications for sure. Yeah. So, John, I understand you have something for our listeners. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, give a uh, 20% off uh, discount code to uh, the Cabinets HR following. Um, and with the understanding that we don't have any product yet, uh, but we will soon. And so once we're off of the Kickstarter platform, or we're on our direct-to-consumer site, it'll be a 20% off coupon code. Uh, and I think we're going to go with uh, Cabinets HR, and that'll get you 20% off. So, quick question. So the Kickstarter... What do you have to pay them? 5%. And is that 5% even if you don't meet your goal? Uh, only if you meet your goal. So if you don't meet your goal, you don't pay anything? As far as I know. So are you, are you doing like the, like, so there's different things. I, I know Indiegogo, there's like, I, I have the term right, the limited, limited. Like if you, there's one thing you like, if you pick like a, um, like a reserve price. Reserve price, yeah. Yeah, no, Kickstarter's all in. All in. So yeah. either you everything either, or nothing. You either make it, yeah. All yeah, yeah, Kickstarter, you can pick where like, you know, like, it's all in at $25,000. So you have to raise $25,000 or you can make, make like the alternative and even you raise $15,000 $15, to get the money. But like for me, if I raise $25,000, I owe them 5%. If I only raise like 10,000, I owe them 9%. Oh, okay. But with you, it's, so it's tiered. Yeah, tiered. Yeah, tiered. Yeah. Yeah. So with you, it's all in. It's all in. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, you know, everybody, people that I've spoken to and, and people that have done campaigns, of course, um, like that's why you need to choose wisely. Yeah. But for me, like, and I don't want to say like, I'm overly confident. Like, I, I think we're going to hit our goal, mm -hmm. but it's still, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense to set a, a, an achievable goal. Um, once you achieve that goal, Kickstarter starts to give you like through the algorithm. Yeah. Oh, you know, you're funded. Yeah. They know they're going to get their money. You're going to get your yeah. money. Yeah. Which, they, which, they, you know, they, it's not money. It's money to use to buy product. Yeah. Right. Cause they tell you like, you know, like suppose there's two companies. One company says my goal is 25,000. Other company says, you know, my goal is 100000 If you hit, come to $25,000, you have 50000 you get all this love, right? Because you're like 20% right. over, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, your algorithm kicks in, you, you know, one of the right. top companies. Other company, they raise 65000 That's more than 50000 but it's only like two -third, one third or two thirds of 100000 sure. They get no love. You got to keep that in mind. So that's why we say that kind of keep it low, low, so to speak, you know. All these people listening, Take that love <laughs> on the first day and the second day. So here's, here's some advice I can give to you on my crowdfunder, right? One yeah. thing I've learned, like I was saying, like, like one thing I learned, like when I was like, I was sending direct message emails, no one responded. Once I started, like so I'll take Instagram, for example, at first I sent like tech messages of Instagram, like DMs, no blah, blah, blah. Once I started sending voice messages, mm. like when I was sending a text message on, on like a DM on Instagram or whatever, whatever platform, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm doing crowdfunding, blah, blah, blah. You know, please donate support, blah. Well, they don't want respond to right. Few did, not really. But once I started sending voice messages, a whole different ballgame. Wow. So, if you, I mean, I would definitely like... You mean through the Instagram platform? Or the Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Sure. Once I started sending the, the voicemails. Okay. That it, it kicked off. Good to know. Okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah so, I would, not even wait, I would not even waste time to new Texas. I would yeah. just send voices. I mean, I think there's a little more personal touch, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, it's Jason. I mean, either way, uh, either way, it fucking sucks, you know? Right. 
I mean, please buy my product. I mean, imagine sending like right now on Instagram, send like a thousand messages, basically like, hey, hey, John F, how you doing? Hope you have a great day. You know, just a reminder, you know, this is Jason Kevin's HR. Uh, we're still doing the crowdfunding so April 20th. It really be great if you could support by donating or sharing with the networks. Hey, thanks for your time. Remember you're great every day. Over and over and over and over again. Do a, a group text or a group voice message? They never always say it's fucking spam. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean... What's that thing you got to do the things that don't scale? Uh, yeah. On Facebook, we have like 2,500 followers. On Instagram, we're, we're basically new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were able to merge a couple of accounts mm-hmm. on Facebook. But Instagram... Pretty small. So I'd only have to do like 120 people. Yeah. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so can you share your social media links for yourself and your company? Yeah. So on, uh, on Facebook, we're Compo Designs. Um, on Instagram, we're at Compo Designs. Um, my name's John Neff. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, it's, on, it's under Jonathan, my, uh, my official name. Um, YouTube, I believe you're sharing the link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On yours. Um, and uh, we're and new on YouTube as well. So we've got more video content coming from uh, the one and only Jeff Brockmeyer, my, my buddy, the videographer. Uh, so yeah, more, more coming. So that's a good point. Like you have a videographer now. Talk about the points. Like, like we used to talk about it back in the day, CEOs and not like uh, out there in public. But now you pretty much, every company is pretty much a media company, right? Yeah. You, had, you, had, you had to have a media company, right? How sure. you, how you doing that with your, with your friend? Yeah. I mean, um, you, and you're right. I mean, if you're a startup, you're, you're a hustling company. Um, I mean, if, if not me, who, right. I mean, yeah. like who don't make any money at Compo. So I get money to, you know, send people out to do things. It's like, you got to get out there and do it yourself. Um, but my videographer is phenomenal. I mean, he's done like a bunch of work for, huge brands, Nike, Adidas. Um, and he's, you know, you, you find good partners that you can, can kind of take you along on the path. And it's like, I'm not a videographer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a script writer. I'm not a, a, a director of any kind. And so I think finding those really key partners and, and trusting their, their vision, mm-hmm. like along with your vision, like, um, you know, collaborating together. And, and, and that's an important thing too, right? It's like, and we haven't talked about this, but I think it's, it's huge. Like we're entrepreneurs, we're founders and like how big's our ego, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and how much, Big you, point. Big how, point. how much are you going to let your ego get in the way of your success? Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I think, you know, I tell the videographer who's done 500 shoots that I want it done this way and this and da, 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 and he's giving me advice and I'm not taking it. I mean, you, you he, deserve to fail. He's looking at me like, you're such a fool, man. Yeah, like, you, I'm trying you, to help you. You deserve to fail. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I've learned that. Like, that's, that's an important lesson, I think, for any young, old entrepreneur, new, you know, whatever, anybody, really. I think in business as a whole, right? It's like, people have been there, walked the path. And I think it's important that we, we, um, we follow, we take that advice that, that people are willing to give us. And, and you don't have to do it. But you just you should listen to it. So yeah, or maybe not, maybe the key is like you have to listen. But if you're not going to listen, at least act and pretend you're listening, right? Sure. Right. At least give the person you're dealing with like yeah. the, the impression that you you care you're listening, right? Yeah. At least fake the funk, you know. Don't tell the mentor they're wrong. Oh no, <laughs> just <take laughs> probably not a good thing to do. Just take it and uh, use use what you need. And to our listeners, we're going to have the links to John's gift and his social media in the show notes. 
You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshlblog.com. And don't forget to support our, our crowdfunding campaign at https crowdfunding. And John, do you have your link for your, for your Kickstarter? Not yet. It's, uh, it's going live Friday. 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 Okay. But you can find it on our, on our website, compodesigns.com. You can find it on our social media. We're talking about it. We're, we're definitely promoting it. Well, we'd love to have you follow us. And uh, if, if you're looking for a tent, the greatest tent in the world, um, we'd love your support. And the code is 20% off, correct? For your listeners, okay. correct. Yeah, Cavernous HR. Once it goes live on our website. Okay. Yeah, we can't, we can't apply it to the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So I think I might have asked you this before, but how did you, how did you figure out the price for your tent? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically building it to, you know, we may not go to retail, mm-hmm. but like, obviously we need to look at profit. We need to look at, you know, our margins mm-hmm. and, and factor in, uh, uh, acquisition costs, um, Un- unknown costs, costs all that. unknown taxes. Know. Yeah. I mean, transportation. You know, we're, 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 it's not exactly cheap to bring product in from China anymore. Oh, sure I think the tent category is like a 20. 20- Two percent tariff, mm-hmm. right? And so, I um, know we didn't talk about that. The tariffs from China, yeah, that's always a factor. Always, it's, it's, to me, it's kind of crazy. Like, even though China has its highest tariff, it's still cheaper to bring stuff from China than build in the United States. So, I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing. Uh, you know, I, I think the cost of living here is just—it's different. Yeah, like, that's I, true. you can't can't live on six bucks an hour oh. in China. You can. Um, of course, if we built it in Vietnam, it's we have like a much better trade agreement with mm-hmm. Vietnam, and so that's it's a lower cost. But um, we're in China for now, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, it's a factor. Cool. So, John, do you have any? Um, I want to give us any wisdom or advice. Anything you want to talk about, listeners? Wisdom or advice? Uh, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> I'll start there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think. Um, if you're, if you're going to do it, do it, right? You got to go all in. Yeah, right? just get you know, started. I mean, just it, get started. Find people, surround yourself with, um, they can help you. And, and I don't mean like give you money, but I mean just like, they either want to be a part of it and they want to they help or they're going to give you advice. And, you know, I think that's, that's, you never know, like who's going to give you that, that one little nugget. Um, we talked about it, putting yourself out there, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, um, you know, focus and, and, and execution. It's, it's what it's all about. Right. I mean, like all the people that I follow that I admire, um, you know, Elon Musk being one of them, it's like the man is a machine. 99.9% of the population is incapable of anything he does. Yeah. And, and that's okay. We don't have to aspire to be him. He's a different level. Well, we should just try and he's like our generation, uh, Leonardo da Vinci or right. Galileo. Sure. Yeah. I mean, pick any of the. Pioneers. Like Joe Rogan says, Elon Musk is a freaking alien. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. We, we can aspire to be like him, mm-hmm. but I don't think we should be setting goals to be him. Yeah. You know, we just got to, you got to carve your own path. And I think that's important. Um, pay the course. So this is kind of a good story, right? Because like, like entrepreneurs, like all you can remember, rainbows and stuff. And I remember, I talked about this in my last podcast. Elon Musk was on some kind of podcast getting interviewed. He just like launched SpaceX. Tesla. I feel like he was crushing it, right? Like yeah. in the news, Elon Musk was like the golden guy, right? He was doing everything right. And so guy, man, Elon Musk, you're doing this, doing this. What's it like to be Elon Musk right now? Elon Musk pauses, like, you know, he pauses. 
my life sucks right now. You know, I'm Elon Musk. You're like, what? Don't be Elon Musk. You, you're, like, you're like the God right now. Like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand all the shit I go through to get to this point right. My life sucks right now. I think a lot of people miss that by entrepreneur. It's, it sucks sometimes, right? It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not all unicorns and rainbows. I mean, it's, um, and it's lonely. And, and I think that's, so that's another lesson too. Yeah, it's so and, lonely. And I think, lonely with capital L. Yeah. If there's, if there's another bit, like you got to get in groups, you got to find people that are, that are living and feeling the same way as you. I mean, you, how many friends have you talked to about your business? And they're just like, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. And you're like, you, so many, and you never will, you no. know, but you find people that are going through the same experience, the same struggles, and it gives you hope. And it's how to have hope. So last question. Let's suppose someone's listening to podcast, right? John's doing some cool ass shit. Like I'm kind of outdoor guy. I like tents. I like the stuff he's doing. I want to work for John. How does this person reach out to you and, and like try to get on your radar and like work for you? Great question. Um, I told you I like cool people. <laughs> no, I think um, they have to drink yeah, bourbon. Just reach out. Uh, <laughs> that's optional. Um, that's optional for sure. Uh, yeah, reach out. I, I love to talk to people, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm happy to talk to anybody about really anything. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I enjoy the experience, and so. Um, Say, reach out, let me know um, me why I would want to talk to you. Let me know what it's about. I mean, if you just want to shoot the shit, tell me you just want to shoot the shit mm-hmm. and that's fine. We can do that. Um, yeah. Follow us on social media and, and, and give me a compelling reason I think is, is um, don't, don't, don't tell me you need 60 grand a year. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But once we start making the money, uh, you know, of course, uh, there's, there's something for everybody. Um, you know, I, I think that's important and it is an early venture. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, people that, that are willing to put that time and energy mm-hmm. into it, you know, we only have a few people working on it right now. And so it's, it's an opportunity for sure. So John, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. everything you're doing for veterans, veterans, Bunker labs, and just all the value you add to everyone. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up.